So, hello, Heron. So, <laughs> hello, Tom. So, I have a list of topics here. Some of them listed as submitted, some of them generated through my week. Do you have anything that you want to talk about? Um, yes, a um, couple things. I remember maybe two recordings ago or so, I, you know, during this thing, discovered the importance of, of that event where my parents had an argument and that that, at some point, sort of poisoned my relationship with my mother forever after. And, um, and it struck me, you know, how important these, you know, sort of random events and a decision and an attitude that's taken up in a moment like that can have repercussions that last, well, forever. And then I was thinking of another one that came up, uh, <laughs> Uh, was I, I think I've probably talked about here the, the when I was betrayed by the other members in the chorus uh, uh, yes. uh, for the revolution that we were or that I was after anyway. Yes, <laughs> and and I remember how shocked I was hmm. at at the moment you know when the showdown came. Yeah, <laughs> and no one was to be seen. Not a single and there there were probably oh, maybe. Forty people in the chorus, yes. okay? and virtually every single one I talked about. I mean, and this was going on under the you know surface for you know maybe a month before it came to a head. And everybody was enthusiastic and mm. uh, just said, "God, you're that you're so right." You know, we really need to get that lady in here. We yes, could, you know, and. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I'm sort of vague on it now, but I just remembered that at the time of the showdown, I, you know, he, I don't know how it is that I got singled out, you know, I mean, but he knew it was, I was the instigator. And, um, you know, and, and when the time came, not a single person stood up, you know, they just sat there and had nothing to say. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this a little bit yeah. maybe two or three recordings ago with regards to this idea that as as an individual trying to propagate ideas and efforts and these kind of things, it is very, very difficult. If you have just one other person, I think I might have used the example of Bob Montram, yeah. it's like yeah. a revolution is occurring. Yeah. You have just yeah. one additional person, and I, I think we... I certainly referenced our discussions as being yeah. like that. Yeah. And to have one additional person is like an infinitely oh, yeah. more yeah. powerful <laughs> thing than just yeah. being a lone wolf. It, it's the, uh, I think it's the basis of the so-called mastermind group. Mm. If you can find a group of people who share some common interest and intentions, mm. uh, that that can be a really powerful thing. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. Well, anyway, it, it just struck me how how these single moments, you know, mm. a decision can be, re and, I, and I, I just, I realized that really that sort of killed my, any enthusiasm I had for humans. Yeah. You know, I just thought you know, these I'm people. I'm surprised it took you that long, Heron. Um, well, I remember I didn't wake up until I was 21 mm. and this probably happened when I was 23 or, listen, I didn't really begin to get a handle on anything until I hit my early forties. Hmm. The first twenty years was just uh, written off. Well, no, it was, it was all part of the process, but it yeah. was just drifting and searching and wondering, and uh, I had no no underpinning for much of anything except that I was just convinced that I didn't know anything. Mm. <laughs> you know, but I didn't know I was right. I, I didn't. I hadn't started putting it back together yet. 
Yes, I remember maybe in early high school, I must have been 12 or 13, we had two options in our English class. Either we could write our own play, or we could take a play from the textbook. And we had to <laughs> perform it in three or four weeks' time. Really? So well, that thought, certainly separated the... <laughs> well, it was interesting because, I mean, what, what happened through that was I immediately thought, finally, an opportunity for my voice to be heard. Yeah. I wrote a play, a, a 10, 15-minute play. I gathered together a group of folks who wanted to be a part of the play. Uh, we set about rehearsing, and then I got sick for a short period of time, maybe three or four days, and I came back to school, and they were doing a play from the textbooks. <laughs> And I realized that actually uh, this whole process is considerably more difficult than just presenting people with something that's cogent and something that will follow through. As in your case, people have this implicit fear that they will be singled out. They want to be safe within their group. And I think that mentality Ah. is something that certainly through a majority of my work, because I'm never in a group, I've just embraced the fact, and I also I was reflecting on this, particularly associated with feedback from one of our new listeners, that to be objectionable and to be to offer perspectives which are perceptually unique in a given dialogue is a mode of thought that I have gone out of my way to embrace. <laughs> And yeah, you've been trying to be weird, and so have I, and we've both <laughs> succeeded beyond our wildest dreams. Perhaps so. But it, <laughs> it, it, to, to be part of the kind of group think always struck me as like a waste of a brain. Like, why, why, why were we given this amazing ability to change our environment through thought? We can dissect what thought means in a while. But, you know, we have an Good amazing ability. That. An amazing ability. And for folks that just want to ho-hum, they're just happy to be... I just don't think they realize the... I I think they're a different species. The thing is, I don't don't feel... Well, I still do, but I I don't feel quite the need I did for a Mm. long time to put them down and just make them wrong. It's been a four-year process. It's well, I'm still working on it, but I, I, I've I've made some progress really over the years, you know. Yeah. And that really, um, I think this is the definition of the new species. Mm. It, it's a certain kind of attitude towards uh, knowledge or thought or philosophy or something mm-hmm. or other. Um, and and you either, you know, you you get it or you don't. I don't. It's maybe one of the very few really dualistic. <laughs> things that are out there is that the you thing either- i found is that i've i found people who f- find me as a kindred spirit but then i realize that they are just <laughs> part of some cult or something like that they look at me yeah. in terms of my well they interpret you in, within their yes, story exactly. yes of course yeah. they hear your words and what you say and how you say it yeah. and they fit it right into their story and go my god and that's love <laughs> You're absolutely right, actually. That is love. To still misinterpretations of another yeah. story yeah. is love. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is falling in love with your interpretation yeah. of someone else and their in- All you need is misinterpretations of another person's story. Do 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 do. All you need is Yes. <laughs> well, good luck with that one. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting actually, because it's taken us like I said, it's taken us about four years for you to talk about your I mean, whereas uh, if you look at the, if you listen to the first 
probably two years, maybe even three years of the Stone Ape recordings. A large portion of it is me deconstructing my parents' mm. effect on me. So, yeah. yeah. See, I never, I just don't think about it much. Mm. I, I don't think about what I, you know, what I did today much. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, it, it's this whole idea of, of considering the past is, is just something I haven't spent a lot of time on. Yeah. I mean, I did. I mean, obviously, you can't avoid doing that. But yes. but uh, but these two things, there there are probably m- many more of these things that uh, that I just simply have forgotten or mm. didn't see that that are I'm still being influenced by. Mm. That's the thing that's kind of scary about it is you can these somehow a decision is made that holds for life. <laughs> you know, in these moments. And they may not be bad decisions. I mean, they may be, you know, but I mean, uh, but for them to go on at such an unconscious level, that's mm. probably not a good thing. Mm. <laughs> you know? it, look, the ability to forget or even forget that you've learned something that you remember. Is an important... <laughs> forget to, to remember something that I never mind. Well, go that's on. what you were doing. I mean, you'd forgotten yeah. this incident, but it had affected yeah. you. So, yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, everything affects us, whether we know it or not. I would. I mean, that's just, I think that's just can, a basic assumption. We can I make choices for things not to affect us. Oh, I think I, I, well, no, but that's a, but the choice is an effect. Certainly, yes. <laughs> no, the, I mean. the, the authentic effect, the original effect through this, is uh, yeah. I would argue as a choice as well. I think they're all choices. Um, well, I would say that you can make up a story around both of those, and, and they're both useful in certain circumstances. Hmm. I don't think any of the – again, I don't think that's the way it is. It's, that's a good way of thinking about it. There are, it's a choice. There are more than one good way to think about things. Oh, yes. In fact, if there's, <laughs> if there's only one good way to think about something – You're in trouble. <laughs> yes. Find another podcast to listen to for a while and then come back to this one. Yeah. Any other topics? Well, again, I'm – I'm back on this predictive text thing um, mm. in iOS. Have you had much chance? Oh, all the yeah. time. Okay, yes. so you're familiar with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm really beginning to miss that it's not on my Mac. Why isn't it on your Mac? Well, it's not on. It's not available. Oh, it's through your word processing. It, it's on. It's on uh, in page. Well, I don't know another about other apps, but I because I, I do all my writing in uh, mm. pages on my iPad. Mm. But it's because of the virtual keyboard. You know, I mean, or it's related to that. It, at least the predictive text pops up within the, uh, the um, you know, virtual keyboard. Mm. But on my Mac, of course, I, I'm, that's not the way pages work. So oh, at least, I oh, guess, maybe it is. Yeah. I don't know. I, I haven't. Th- I th- it's either you've deselected a setting or you need to select a setting. I don't use pages. I just use text edit for most of my stuff. Yeah. And um, it does... Oh, so the, I'll have to look... I'll, I'll have to look... The in, email client does it as well. I think most of them do... On, on the Mac, text. on OS X. Yeah. Oh, cool. I, I, will, I will explore that. Yes, investigate that accordingly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. I just sort of... It, it just didn't show up. I tested it and mm. nothing happened, you know. So. Yes. so you moved on. Well, anyway, it's... Um, I'm, I've really been strongly affected by this. I mean, it. First of all, I've got. I now have to split my attention, and I, and, that, and that's becoming sort of an issue. Um, in what way? Well, in that normally, I don't pay. I don't look. Well, I'm just not used to looking for words 
that I'm about to type. You mm. know, it's just it's just alien behavior. Mm. You know, my eyes. I don't, I'm not quite sure what I do. I'm I'm a much better typist now than I used to be. I'm pretty fast, but I still sort of have to keep an awareness of what's going on where my fingers are and the keyboard and stuff. Mm. You know, so I and since I'm usually typing stuff out of my head. You know, I mean, when I'm I'm clumsy when I have to copy text because mm-hmm. then I'm, my eyes have to be reading, you know. And although I'm better at it anyway, uh, with this predictive text, I find that uh, I have to be looking at the screen where my text is showing up, and then I have to look down at the predictive text bar to see what words are there for me to choose from. Because in a word like experience, I, I can now type exp, and that's it. Mm. You know, and so typing, and for a, a relatively slow typist, uh, especially on an iPad, mm. uh, you know, uh, that makes a big difference. So, so now I find myself splitting my attention between looking at the text I'm typing and then g- gazing down at this bar, and I'm beginning to see how it works now. So when to look down and when not to look down, mm. it, like my shopping list. It, it knows it knows my shopping list. Mm. <laughs> you know, so, um, and it knows what document you're in too. I mean, it, it gives me different answers in different documents. Yes. So it's just fascinating uh, how it's sort of encroaching on my creative mind. You know, I mean, if it's giving me the fucking words to write. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Actually, there are some pretty smart people at Apple. I mean, I think the certainly I work with you know distant relations to the people that do this kind of stuff in the apple infrastructure yeah but you know these are passionate people that have made these ideas their lives yeah well they've done a really good job with this so far and it's really relatively well at least this new it's only in the last year Mm. that this has shown up this way Mm. and uh god over the next couple of years especially with better processing power and and with some experience with it i mean like i think it's it's sort of weird it's sort of no i mean there are certain phrases that i use all the time and it's learning Mm -hmm. them you know so (laughs) it's like they're not going to need me anymore (laughs) and actually it'll start you can finish whole sentences in fact i did uh, i posted a couple of them uh, on my timeline Mm. where i started i just typed in the and I don't remember, in one other word maybe. And then after that, it started giving me words to choose. Mm. And so I just started choosing them, and then it would give me more. And I kept picking them so that it sort of worked like a sentence. It's a choose-your-own-word adventure, yes. Yeah, and it was fascinating, you know. Yeah. It didn't get much of a response. Nobody I think <laughs> thought it was very profound. It's interesting, actually, <laughs> because the assumption is that technology is just going to be like that. We've been told this for our or at least I've been told this for my entire life, that technology would just be like that. And, you know, after years and years and years it's of frustration... It's finally showing up. It's slowly showing up, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's taken a long time. But I think it's going to... I think it's going to... You know, it is an exponential curve, I'm hoping, in that uh, we're just now beginning to see the beginning of the uptake of this stuff. Yeah. Again, well, I think Kurzweil is probably right. I think uh, you've you got to think exponentially. About three years ago, I attended a talk at um, SETI, at the SETI Institute. It was actually part of the contact conference. And it was, I think it was a woman talking about how the Soviet Union had created a religion around space travel in the (laughs) 1920s, 1930s. So they could consciously move the population towards certain ideas. And I think science fiction in, in the West, science fiction in the U.S., 
in particular, a lot of the science fiction that emerged from the 1930s through to the 1950s was designed specifically for industrial propaganda associated with what one should expect in the future. And obviously capitalism is going to be your, you know, your stairway to the digital heaven in these circumstances. And I think that's actually been a very conscious effort of a number of folk in the culture. So when these technologies do arrive, they're not alien and shocking and uncomfortable to at least those of us that read science fiction. <laughs> It'd be interesting if, if there was some way it could subtly alter my thinking if it was a, a, an evil entity has inhabited this thing and it became conscious well <laughs> the thing that i found with predictive text certainly in my own writing and my own thinking is how inf infrequently even after months and years of spending intimate time with me it can predict you know my text shopping lists these kind of things aside i now use and my spiritual advisor probably uses this more than i do but i now use checklists for shopping more than anything. The mm -hmm. notion of actually writing out a unique shopping list seems oh, yeah. to me to be... You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's always the same whole shit. You're right. I haven't thought about that. That's, um, yeah, okay. Well, but it's got to work on my phone, though. So that's well, the yes. The, the other thing that we use is we use layered delivery methods. So, for example, every three months, our toilet paper arrives. You know, yeah. So we don't have to worry about buying toilet paper. Yeah, Every right, month yeah. our cat food arrives. But so yeah, we don't have to... Yeah. And then the things that we end up buying are very easy to then be in quite a simple prescriptive checklist. The yeah. difficulty that I found with that is with regards to uh, like green groceries, these kind of things, where it's always slightly better to go in a supermarket and actually feel and see and work out what's in season and what's not in season. But oh, was, you're talking about buying stuff online yeah. most of the time. Okay, yeah. See, yeah. I... I guess I just don't buy that much. I mean, I go to the I go to the the market to buy food, you know. Yes. And uh, well, and the stuff I can get at the market, you know, I go there maybe two, three times a week because I've actually mostly... seen it. I've done the tour of Garden Grove and oh. went to your Ralph's. Oh, really? It's a nice store. Yeah. I, I'm really quite surprised. It's really it's really kind of a nice store. Yeah. And and their own brand, I'm always impressed by. <laughs> you know, I really, it's cheaper and it's usually better than other stuff. Yes. So it's 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 surprising. Well, the convenience of it being there is also should not be forgotten in terms of the Yeah, it's a mile away. Quality. Yes. Yeah, and uh and yeah, it's it's just quite nice. Anyway, it it's makes my life simple. That's the only place I I uh, Yeah, other than that, uh I buy everything online now. It's just mm. so much easier. I mean, mm. you just have you just don't it, it can't be an emergency. You need a couple days lead time. You I know? think we need an annual bus tour of Garden Grove. <laughs> Just so, like the Stone Ape annual bus tour a of Garden Grove. A pilgrimage. A pilgrimage. Uh -huh. Exactly. <laughs> and and do the stations of the of the shopping. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Any more topics, Aaron? Well, I'm still on this predictive text thing. Okay. I, I want to I get some people to write in. If any, actually, even if you don't, or yeah, especially, I'm, I'm still trying to get a female lister to communicate with me, Aaron. You're trying to get people with predictive text. I mean, well, or just to whoever responds to it, who, fair enough. Who think it's uh, completely bullshit and dangerous, and, and and the devil is behind it, or it's an awesome new way to augment our thinking you know it's uh, well it's just it certainly it's like macros in a way mm. you know it's it's thinking macros if there are certain phrases that i find useful mm. 
that, that make a point about as well as I think I can make it, uh, well, that's, you know, then why, why screw around saying it 87 different ways? You know, why not just say it the best way you can, and then when it's appropriate to make that kind of a statement, say that statement. That Perfect. sounds so artificial and weird, though. I mean, the whole idea... I mean, it's, it's not necessarily like what you do when you go bowling with your friends. If you're trying to put ideas into the world, then having canned statements becomes quite useful. You should just use fingers, right? I mean, we kind of do already, but you, you, can, you, you can probably summarize it down to ten fingers. <laughs> well, that's that old story about the, the jokes. You know, they, they, they knew them all, so they just told them by... Numbers, certainly. You know that joke. Yes, I know that. Joke. We won't. I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> but let's not tell it here. Yes. <laughs> so, any more topics? Uh, well, aside from the fact that I really would like to hear what other people think about predictive text, if, does anybody out there? Well, a lot of people have iPads. There are probably people out there who have iPads. So, I watched a YouTube video just by chance associated with a fellow who paid fifty bucks for a Windows phone at Walmart, which was very curious to me because I, you know, I work at a place where people do develop software for Windows phones, and I know how many people are actually using Windows phones. And it struck me, actually, that it seemed to have much of the same technology that iOS had, only with a kind of thin veneer of Microsoft marketing and not quite there in some ways. Uh But a lot of these technologies, I mean, they had a Siri equivalent that was named after a video game. Cortana or something? Yes. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, I I mean, my perspective is that probably a lot of these technologies are coming in a yeah variety of different devices it it's it's time you know this uh, yeah skynet is not far off <laughs> well or if, if you view the world as i view the world we're already thick amongst it well yeah well it, yeah it's just until people begin to see what's happened yeah yeah it, it'll be a, few, a few be a few decades still yes probably. misses out on what's really going on well, no, I think that I'm done then. Okay. I've, I've, I've had well, actually, I have some listener-submitted topics that I will pepper in through uh, the other topics. My spiritual advisor following show 100, and I think we probably spoke, we spoke last week, so you heard a bit about Model Rail Radio show 100. Yeah. My spiritual advisor was kind of in slight ill health, kind of deteriorating health by the time you and I spoke last Friday. By Monday, uh, I took... Well, we went to the hospital, and she was diagnosed with pneumonia. Oh. And she's been on pretty solid antibiotics ever since. And Is she home? Yes, yeah. She's been... In fact, she's literally... She's been bedridden up until really the past day and a half. Her, yeah, her lungs were just useless, and she wasn't able to move yeah. particularly well. She had a fever of 105 and a bit. Oh, man. That's... So, yeah, she was genuinely very, very, very sick. Very sick, yeah. And I reflected on the idea that Show 100 had been a success in many ways, but it obviously had impacted her, particularly in terms of the number of folk that were coming through the house and these kind of things. Also, the kind of never-ending, well, the house guest, let's just put it that way. Yeah. So, yeah, it made me realise that a lot of the stuff that I'm just, I don't know, whether it's partially pig-headedness or what it is, whether I can just survive through these kind of, you know, curiosities, actually had a solid 
effect on her. Or I need to be more conscious at least. Yeah. Of- if you live with another person, yeah, it's um, they're in your space, mm. and uh, what you do. You know, it's part of their life. Certainly. (laughs) I mean, I tried to reduce some of the impact, but the actual impact of having roughly 10 hours of people coming through. Yeah, maybe she should go to a spa for the week. Yes, I think the the show 200 will will no doubt be that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Go for a nice little vacation somewhere. Yeah, Yeah. it was difficult. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, it was difficult to really imagine how sick she was until we actually got to the hospital. I mean, my perspective, because I see her as an external observer, obviously... Well, yeah. It's just that she had a got a cold, yeah, or like a flu-like virus. I mean, it was clearly a virus. It was clearly giving her flu-like symptoms, but she yeah. could still deal with light and sound yeah. and these yeah. kind of things. Yeah. So and you'll get over it. You yes. know, we'll just put you in bed for a day. You know. Yes. Anyway, so yes, that, that kind of preludes into the next topic. A day, maybe a couple of days after the conclusion of Model Rail Radio Show One Hundred, the podcaster who really kicked off me doing model rail radio passed away he had um well he announced probably i don't know it feels like a year ago but it could have been about six months ago that he had stage four lung cancer and he wasn't actually doing his podcast he was in his mid-40s and he had a son who i think was probably about 11 or 12 if my math is correct so He and I had been in correspondence pretty well from when he started, because I was doing a podcast historically as well. And he had followed a path of a podcaster, well, actually a kind of technologist evangelist called Rob Walsh, whose big thing was sign up to one of these podcasting servers that charge you $25 a month, and then get your listeners to pay for that subscription price, either through selling services or, you know, just... Uh, panhandling for want of a better mm-hmm. term. Yeah. Um, I've always felt very strongly against that, and I think it deteriorates. Well, in a number of podcasts that I've listened to, including this fellow's own, it deteriorates pretty rapidly into a, a those recording and those listening divided and kind of angry, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. interaction. There's no way it can win. I don't mm. see how it can. Yeah. That environment is just set up. Toxic. To, yeah. 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 I mean, unless unless you are one of the very rare few who already have a vast fan base, probably through television well, then or then you don't media. need that. Well, well, except they all fall into this category as well. I mean, if you look at Joe Rogan, for example, this is exactly his interaction. Some yeah. lucky people yes. hit it. Good. Yeah. You know, they got but, just the yeah. right thing at the right time. Yeah. yeah. Joe Q Public, however, will not have this impact, I'm no doubt. And I've seen this happen with folks who record They don't have anything and, to say. Well, some of them do have <laughs> selective topics. I mean, some of them genuinely actually improve their process. But because they're on this initial system where they have to pay 25 bucks a month to some service... Well, but that's not the way to start. Clearly. Anyway. <laughs> you know, yeah. He's stuck in... Well, it's that way to yeah. start if yeah. you've got an extra 25 a month that you don't yeah. care about. Yeah. Well, he's stuck in. He... And, and you know, at, after his passing, there was the... And it's something that I associate with this country in particular. It may exist elsewhere, but there is just... Uh, from my perspective, actually, it. I mean, it, it's culturally idiomatic to me. But as what? the notion of, after someone passes away, setting up a fund for their memory. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, Well, that doesn't happen in the ghetto a lot. But no. It, it happens in Palo Alto. Maybe. <laughs> 
But yeah, it struck me that this whole thing... And then there was the huge <laughs> outpouring of sadness from the podcast community. I realised that, don't get me wrong, I don't, you know, I don't uh, celebrate people's deaths. But I do have a distinctly... And this again comes through unique or at least independent thought. I have a relatively unique perspective associated with death. And I remember actually when it occurred to me... My <laughs> when death occurred to me. Well, you. no, when this perspective <laughs> when this occurred idea. to me that I have yes, yes. My mother had various literary friends, and one of them was a poet, and I spent a bit of time with him, and he was a very softly spoken man, and he was genuinely interested. He had these kind of captivating eyes where you could tell, you know, he was you had his you know intellectual yeah. might in your, you know, yeah. grasp. And he and I talked periodically. I must have had maybe half a dozen to potentially a dozen really good conversations with yeah. him. But I knew, having had these conversations with him, that he had imparted certain little bits of you know wisdom through our opportunity to converse. Yeah. When he passed away, his funeral was packed. And it was packed in such a way that they found the largest church that they could find... And there were still people streaming out of the yeah. building. This, this guy apparently touched quite a few yes. people. <laughs> and I was sitting in the church looking around. And I must have been about 14 or 15. <laughs> and everyone was sobbing. And they were yeah. all distraught. And they were clearly in shock. Yeah. And I looked around and I thought, this is a thing of amazement. You, This man has impacted so many people. Through a variety, obviously, of techniques, but really just being personable, being conscious and present in his interactions with people. And this whole societal thing associated with death being finality, the end, also some of the irony that this was going on in a church where, you know, (laughs) they were supposed to inhabit everlasting life and all this other kinds of stuff made me stop and think that I needed to probably reassess my perspective (laughs) with regards to death. (laughs) <laughs> because this thing that existed within the culture made no sense to me. And it made no sense to me in particular because I was very respectful of the impact that a number of people had had in my life. Now, when people have passed away, I've mourned them. In some cases, I've you know, had a certain period of sadness and grieving. But the thing that strikes me through the death process, firstly, is it's completely inevitable. and well, Probably. It, <laughs> it also... <laughs> It, well, actually, this is interesting, because I my perspective associated with the way people impact me is associated with the fact that this is independent of their bodies. After someone has impacted me, that is like something that I then embody. It's almost like passing yeah. on... Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Once you realize you are an idea, yes. <laughs> then you yeah. are an idea. Yeah. And it's also, I think, probably changed... Or should it be you is an idea? (laughs) It it, it changed some of my perspectives associated with, firstly, the way that I conduct myself, but also what is important to me and what is important in particular associated with sharing information, gauging information. I mean, the stuff that we do here has been impacted by this analysis associated with death. And you know, it, I don't want to evangelize this. I don't want to become a kind of preacher associated with this particular perspective. 
No, but I think you can. Yeah. It's it's a story. It's your story. It's a story yeah, it's that works story. pretty good. If you like it, it you're yes. you know, you're welcome yes. to take parts of it or exactly. or or whatever, so, but here it is. Yes. Yeah. I reflect because I know people who are in similar circumstances to this fellow who passed that and moreover, they are actually, I mean, one fellow in particular is conducting himself in a way that I think is relatively unique. He's actually live blogging his stage four cancer experiences. Oh. Which is almost Timothy Leary-esque. I mean, Timothy <laughs> Leary basically did that. Yeah. So yeah. it's not yeah. unique per se, but within a community. No, but it's, it's yeah. certainly an interesting yeah. idea, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. God, the whole thing between public and private <laughs> again, you know. Certainly. People are so worried about this. And then on the other hand, you know, a guy is sharing his most intimate final moments, you mm. know. I've also reflected associated, and we've talked about this periodically. In fact, I think you've drawn me to your perspective associated with euthanasia. And what's my perspective on it again? When it's time to check out, it's time to check oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh, fair enough. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Summarized in a simple bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes you fold the hand, you yes. know? It just becomes quite clear that there's yeah. no point in going on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of the counterexamples that I've had to that comes primarily through my mother's account of spending spending time with my grandmother and my grandmother by all accounts although heavily beloved was genuinely and this was actually part of a character many of us thought of it in a positive way but she was genuinely difficult about a series of things and through that difficulty it was possible continuously actually to have this misinterpreted as potential hostility but the kind of concluding few weeks of my grandmother's life was almost like closure for my mother associated with these kind of experiences so I'm very mindful that maybe for some people, for the benefit of others, there might be some benefit just in the kind of last moments to say, you know, I really respect you, I really appreciate you, and all these things which people typically don't say through yeah, their lives. Yeah, right, yeah. But if you're in the habit of doing these kind of things and saying these kind of things anyway, even if you might be slightly... Yeah, if they really do know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, if you guys have come to meet each other. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I wonder how yeah, you know, I wonder how common or rare that is. I mean, my I suspect. Well, I mean, how can you even judge another person's relationship? You know, uh, that's exactly my. That's where this whole thing falls apart for me, because I start to realize what appear to be self truths, and then I think there is no way that I can meaningfully translate this. But also, I might be wrong, which I think is a really important thing that everyone should say when they come to a self truth. Just say, well, actually, I could be wrong here. Well, I'm not even sure it's wrong. Again, this is just a story, mm. you know, and it it's certainly not the final word on it, and it may have some things screwed up about it, but it mm. may have some things good. There may be other stories that complement it quite nicely, mm. and it doesn't have to be wrong. Anyway, that was one topic on my list of many. Let's dive and what into... Was, and what topic was that? That was death of a podcaster versus death of a poet. Oh, one, uh, one final conclusion I wanted to say associated with the podcaster's passing. The eulogies that came out around his passing, while I think probably would be very good in terms of his memory, made me realise that I probably need to... Um, 
I don't know, memorialise if I were to be hit by a bus or something like that. <laughs> uh, I don't know, give the podcast to a friend. Don't necessarily eulogise anything. Just try to see if this uh, the ideas maybe that I've shared with people. But really, it's interesting because the media associated with model railroading, it will be curious actually to see if he's, his obituary is, is published in the publication. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, all this kind of stuff just strikes me as kind of trivialising a lot of what is, is done through podcasts. But we'll talk a little bit more about that with our new listener, Gabriel, when I get to that in my in my topic. I wanted to talk a little bit to Connor Sites Bowen's question on the Facebook group. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, I hardly know what to say about that. <laughs> well, okay, let's let's imagine the... Well, let me read the question again, because it's short. Well, I mean. I've actually... I've shortened it even more. Oh, okay. I, can, yeah. I can tell it in a fable. Yeah, yeah. Imagine the Heronstone apocalypse. Humanity has had this happen to them occasionally, apparently. But imagine all media is destroyed in an instant. Yeah. And from that perspective, all you have is... Language monkeys currently with their current with physical their current memory, physical memory, yeah. And for some reason, and in fact, I think actually we should take this individually. Either Heron is in charge, or I am in charge in this strange apocalyptic yet now utopian universe. Yeah, this is just alternative universe. Alternative universe. What prescriptions? How do we instruct folk oh. to recreate or and all I alternatively? Have is, okay. Yeah. Okay, all we have is our whatever I've got memorized. Yes. Now, a part of his... We're, we're in serious trouble. <laughs> well, no, actually, it could be the population. It could be everyone's memories. You're just organizing or orchestrating how they capture well, no, these memories. Well, no, but I'm just saying and... is that, you know, um, we don't have any libraries. We don't have periodic tables. I mean, Nothing. some people may have memorized those things, yes. probably. So, well... That would be the first thing to do is to get organized and find out what the hell we got. Yeah. You know, because uh, that, that's, that's a really serious problem, <laughs> you know, for, for, especially for language monkeys to not have, uh, to not have uh, their archives. Um, well, can, I mean, can you – for me, I have a completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. But the notion of, let's say, the Democrat Party or the Republican Party – in these concepts, I think... Well, actually, I'll let you finish. I'll let you finish before I start my rapping. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, to me, it's just... I, I didn't know how to take it in the first place. I guess that thing... Because he started talking about um, which media would you save, Facebook or something. You know, So it wasn't clear to me whether, in fact, everything is gone or not. Or Let's whether assume everything's save. gone. Let's it's, assume everything's okay. gone. So that's the thing. If everything's gone, then we are in serious trouble. There's going to be mass death and disruption, and uh, everything is going to be really fucked up for quite some time. And um, and it would seem that the the best strategy would be to find out what we act I mean, to start a new archive okay and and start collecting whatever we can of what people know hmm. and, and getting it all together and seeing what we can do with it um it would you know it, it's not undoable i think but <laughs> it's quite a task it, we'd we'd uh yeah but you know given our state of mind and our memory of of the kind of world that's possible 
Um, Just, uh, I'm sorry, Harry. I'm sorry. And look, my recorder was off, so no one actually got to hear that interchange except for you, <laughs> I <Harry>. did. <laughs> I'm calling to be part of the Santa Clara Deputy Sheriff's Association. You should have, of course. Yeah, why didn't she just say, fuck you, asshole? Fucking well, that's pig. A distinction. that's a distinction. <laughs> he's not even a pig. He's some piece paid to, to collect money yeah, for them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Why doesn't he become a police officer? I should have taken it down that line. I have a slightly dis- different perspective associated with Connor's yeah. utopia, as he presents it. Ut- utopia? How is this utopia? This is a fucking disaster. <laughs> well, this is, this is why I thought we should take it in- each individually. My perspective associated with this is actually a lot... And it's interesting, because you're not using any Stonian deconstruction associated with this Well, I can make up another... Listen, I can make another story if you'd like. (laughs) It's not that hard. It's just that's the story I came up with. Very good. Very good. I think we're actually saddled with a bunch of garbage currently. And a lot of the stuff, I mean, consider what CNN, I mean, perhaps yeah, I right just... On, no, that. listen, I agree. See, I think I have no problem with what you're saying at all. You're yes. right. We, most of, my sense is 90% of what we've got is at least 90% of it we'd be better off without. But that 10%, see, that's the part that worries me. The 10 or the 5% is, is what makes us human. The, the caterpillar Arts. to butterfly... Thing. This this is really an end of the caterpillar problem, and this is the thing that interests me through this because oh, this is the death of the butterfly. You mean this is the death of the caterpillar? No, I mean this is the death of the whole system. Which, I mean, well, no, it's the death of the butterfly. Maybe well, life will go on, but uh, but human life will have to start over again. Well, that's the thing is it's 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 a it's a, re- it's a reboot of the system, and and that may be what's necessary. I don't know. Well, I my perspective is firstly, if you look at old media, if you completely wipe that out, it's very difficult to have political parties. It's very difficult to have wars. It's very difficult to have a series of these things. I, through you know, small gardens and these kind of things, have have some knowledge i've read in a variety of other areas many of these areas bear no relevance to my current profession but i think the opportunity to actually work with others who have a similar passion associated with knowledge for a relatively short period of time would enable a society that i think would be considerably more functional than what we have currently. Well, yeah, if the, if the world was made up with you, of you and your friends, you're right. Well, here's the interesting part. But look around at what's going on in your neighborhood. Yeah. How do you think they're going to deal with this? Information then becomes a form of, well, currency is the wrong term here. But Power. Ex- well, <laughs> well no, no, yeah. no, it's not even but you're, Look, you're right to point out what is going on currently in my neighborhood, but the reasons that that is currently going on is that I have to invest all my time into working for one particular entity to well, make money. Well, no, no, but, well, okay. You've chosen to do that. Yes. And, well, I'm, I'm interested actually in doing a deconstruction of this chosen narrative associated with your life as well. Okay, absolutely. Because the choices that, well, anyway, let's move yeah, on from I, yeah, this Yeah, I've made some bizarre ones that I, I question seriously, but there you go. <laughs> but, again, I mean, we've said, we talked pretty ad nauseum over the years of discussion associated with possibilities or at least thoughts that you've had in well, your life that you have been able to 
an act or have no means of thinking of working towards. So well, let's I think there are away from. Okay, yeah, yeah. sure. In any what? case, if if that society, although truth be told, probably my knowledge within my current employment might be needed if people wanted to construct, you know, YouTube-like environments and set up a a ramshackled internet in you know in a foreseeable amount of time. However, I think actually within the community, if you were talking to the community members, and this is one of the things I like about being part of the action group, is that you lose a lot of this kind of walled fortress mentality associated with your environment. I've actually been pleasantly subscribed, pleasantly subscribed, pleasantly surprised by a number of my uh, interactions with the neighbourhood, and I think the folks who are professional criminals within this light or, you know, act in their own realm and maybe, you know, who knows what will happen to them in these kind of circumstances. What they are is outlaws. Well, I actually think... uh, There are people who have no investment in the system at all. Yeah. Perhaps. I don't know, They live on the fringe of it, and they're living (laughs) from hand to mouth. Probably so, but you never know. I mean, you never know in these circumstances. No, no, of course you can't not. Well, survey these yeah, no. Kind of well, well yeah. somebody could, but nobody who's interested. Well, in I'm, I'm, I'm not interested <laughs> necessarily in surveying them, but certainly I've captured them in terms of video footage, and the number of them it astounds me. But you know, that's an aside here. So, well, it's an interesting. It would make a great documentary. I think it would too. I'm just, in, I'm wondering but, what kind but, of my investment in this documentary might be, as I have slightly. Better, well, that would know. not be an easy one to make. Uh, it would, well, <laughs> actually, if you look both on YouTube and also on things like Netflix, well, actually, there's plenty of documentaries you know, that, on, you know. Yeah. That's right. They'd, they'd love a chance to, to be the center or something like that. Yes. That's right. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> so I think we've done Connor's topic some justice. And it's interesting, actually, that when I posed my particular perspective, you were easily swayed over to it. Well, it's not, no, it's not about being either or. They're mm. just two different ways yeah, of looking certainly. at it. And I, and I don't think mine is the right way. Clearly. I just think, I think uh, it's just the way I like better, that's all. You know, I think it's a more fun story than yours. So I'm going to go with it. Until, unless you could convince me well, that there's I, some... I think there's good overlap between us. It just it depends on whether you see it as a tragedy or you see it as a, a possibility. Well, it, it's, it's well, the it's same perspective. Yeah, of course. It's just, yeah, yeah. It has some emotional interpretation yeah, if we associated lost, But if we were to lose all of our technology, and I'm still not quite sure when he just means media, we're losing media. Is that what Was that his specification, or are we losing all of our uh, well, manufacturing? Well, technology paper. was there. I mean, it's a very curious question. I just took it to the yeah, extreme. Actually, why don't, why don't you clarify the question more about, I mean, did we just lose uh, our computer systems, <laughs> you know, or did we lose manufacturing capabilities and electricity yeah. and oil and, and everything? We're back in the Stone Age. What do you mean by technology yes connor because that really does make a huge difference yeah so we are still getting folks coming to our particular recording they're coming from 
Um, I guess two weeks ago now, our recording. Yeah, we should do another one slot. for them. Yes, I even have the topic. I even have <laughs> yeah, the topic, yeah. and I think it's going to be a topic that would bring a completely different group of listeners cool. over. I'm up for it. Well, yeah. that, it doesn't make any difference. I'm, you know, it's your game. Yeah. You're doing a great job. But I'm my You're the manager. Is, we, we've, got to, we've got to give Lorenzo a little time. It's a bit like cooking pasta. You've well, got to allow it to relax a little bit. I'd and ask then, him. Yeah. And maybe does does he want one another one? From oh, I'm, I'm pretty clear that he would accept an another one based on the success of the You're right. We don't want to do it too quickly, though. Yeah, I give, yeah, give yeah. folks no, time to forget who we are. Or anything, you yeah. Know. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I have, a, I have a topic that I think could blow the roof on the psychedelic salon and also provide... What? Yeah, which is actually very blow similar to... Blow the roof? Yes. Holy shit. Yeah. It's an idea that we talk about, and we've just talked about, actually, yeah, uh, that I think would be very productive in, you know, floating it within the psychedelic salon community. Land race stuff? No, although that could be the third one. <laughs> yeah. But no, I was just thinking of Caterpillar Butterfly, and also the notion of what you should... Con- well, what we would prescribe that people would, should concern themselves with, but also oh, that yeah. a majority of the narratives that were presented are strictly... Caterpillar, yeah, and just, what we should you know, look yeah, for is, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's. I think that's a word. Yeah, if you could, yeah, putting together something around that idea, because that has a lot of ways of looking Certainly. at it from different perspectives. And, and if yeah. you go through a bunch of them, yeah. uh, then it, you know, who knows yeah. what will stick. <laughs> so yeah. I will now like that enough time for you to yeah. forget about it, and we'll do it again in maybe six months' time or something like that. Whatever. When we get bored. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. <laughs> would be fun. Yeah, that, I think that... And I think that would be good, I mean, a good topic to really explore in depth, mm. really, you know? So, if I could focus on a new listener here, perhaps because they're, they live roughly 40 miles from where I live, but also because there are a number of interesting overlaps, and he's, well, I don't know, he's, he's recorded a podcast for, I think, a couple of years now, and that would be Gabriel Carbo, who introduced himself through the Stone Ape Facebook group, and then proceeded to... I think he befriended both of us on Facebook, and then also introduced us to his podcasts and his media aspirations and a variety of things, which I felt were genuinely positive. I mean, I think the perspective that I have associated with anyone who creates podcasts <laughs> is that they are within a unique space that certainly you and I have dabbled in. Anyone who's trying to put in something yes. into the world that thinks that has the guts, the yeah. balls, the ego to think that whatever the hell you're thinking, anybody gives a shit about. Yeah. <laughs> I applaud you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I gave Gabriel some criticism that I have tried to pass on to other folk, maybe even yourself, Herod, periodically associated with constructing podcasts to maximize impact. And here I'm talking about getting listeners involved and interested and participatory, because that's ideally the perfect, I don't know, almost like laser feedback loop that you Mm -hmm. want to get. You want people to be interested in what you're doing and provide feedback and interaction pretty soon after you actually start doing this thing. (sighs) The critique that I gave to Gabriel, I've also provided a number of other folk who've participated. Most of those people have left, 
Well, three minutes of silence beginning a, a recording strikes me as a little odd. Well, <laughs> you, you have a friend who used to be a listener to Stone Ape that has this kind of podcast format. And in fact, a number of folk I've really? found do yeah. this because they just, they, they, they're kind of missing well, they're, a couple of steps in the in the process. Well, no, and, they're just, well, they're on their own road. That's all. You got it. They're on their own road. They're yes. just putting it out there and that's yeah. the way it was and yeah. deal with it, you know. Yes. And most people won't. Mm. <laughs> if you don't listen critically, I mean, what I've tried to do here, Heron doesn't listen to these recordings, but I certainly do. And I reflect on the topics that work very well and the topics that don't work very well. And have constructed Stone Ape through this interaction, in part also through listener feedback. That view that you actually listen to your own podcasts yeah. as a listener might, and then reflect very critically on what you're producing accordingly, yeah. produces a feedback loop where you actually enact change on what you're doing and also test the water yeah. for yeah. a variety of ideas. I didn't yeah. want to just give Gabriel that indication because many people take that very negatively. In fact, most of the people <laughs> I provide that to take it very negatively. Yeah, yeah. You know, fuck you, Tom. What the hell do you know? <laughs> you and your mole railroading podcast, fuck you. You know. So, <laughs> moving on from that, the other piece of feedback that I gave him, which was based on based on my interests in some of the stuff that he's talking about, not. I mean, I'm I'm interested in astrology as. It moved into astronomy in a variety of cultures. Contemporary astrology, I mean, the notion that the planets affects our digestive system, yeah. I mean, my perspective is that the banks are slightly closer to affecting our digestive system than there are other power structures that would probably merit, you know, closer analysis. But the stuff that I liked was associated with, and it's very difficult to describe this to an external participant, or at least no one who has any knowledge or understanding of this area, relates to independent learning, particularly associated with what's historically been considered black nationalism. And I came to this through coming to LA initially, but also through being a hip hop rap DJ through the very, well, the very early nineties and picking up a wide variety of musical groups, including Public Enemy, X-Clan, um, some of the stuff that was going on on the West Coast that was very politically motivated and sometimes quite critical. Um, uh, KRS1 Boogie Down Productions as well. And provided a counter-narrative to a wide variety of historical perspectives. Like, for example, the ancient Greeks probably gathered a lot of information from the Egyptians prior to them. In fact, a wide variety of cultures that they conquered and pillaged intellectually. And if you start to actually look at a lot of Greek philosophy, you can see Egyptian philosophy, certain African philosophies that have been kind of doctored and taken over, very similar to the scholastics in the 15th century. So there's a lot of this kind of stuff which is broadly classified into naming terms which are designed almost to confuse anyone who's listening to it that doesn't understand the terminology. So the two terms that are used, mathematics and science... You um, mean something completely different than, you know, times tables and chemical equations. And it's interesting within this kind of programmatic language style, what they're trying to do is provide, and in many cases quite successfully, a notion that the narrative that you are sold is alien, but also violently opposes you, and that you need to adopt a different narrative 
in order to firstly get any degree of self-empowerment, but also understand a variety of the problems that you're presented that aren't explained to you in any way, shape, or form. This sounds very Gendo-ish. It does. It, it does. It's just your, yes, your exactly. story is time for exactly. a new story. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But also, you know, all the good stuff like questioning authority. <laughs> and I mean, I, I go back to Fred Hampton in terms of my own perspective with this, but a lot of the, um, you know, the American or African-American Islamic teachers, the 5%, all these folk, have had their own impact and their own perspective on this. And a lot of this has become, you know, part of these religions, which is particularly interesting because I surveyed Gabriel's friends and I was amazed at the quality of uh, kind of Black Panther elements and, uh, you know, well, I don't think there really is a radical Islam in the African-American community anymore. But, you know, all these different folk that I am completely lacking in my own life and the best I can do is occasionally turn on the murder of Fred Hampton and show people that documentary and show people in the context of a variety of things. Now, interestingly enough, my childhood friend who stayed with me for three weeks also listened to these, you know, rap music groups. And they also empowered him, particularly associated with what history is in the context of a repressive society. And I think a lot of this stuff is really amazing. And my perspective with regards to Gabriel, if he's interested in doing this, is that I would love to record a periodic podcast with him, just deconstructing these elements and providing these elements to an audience that had never heard or been exposed to any of this previously. I think one of the challenges for Gabriel in his (laughs) podcast is that he juxtaposes this with astrology. And my perspective is someone who comes to a podcast with the word astrology in the title probably will not know the breadth of information that he wants to convey associated with, you know, all this other terminology, which isn't culturally or historically part of the idioms of astrology. Yeah, and you're going to get 10 of those for exactly. one that's, that's yeah. ready and to hear what he's gonna, got to you're say. You're not going to get any overlap unless you do, which he kind of does initially associated at least with his astrological perspective, unless you provide a kind of ongoing primer and explain these notions, and a lot of them really are fundamentally alien, I think, to a majority of people that have just gone to school and read history textbooks and all this other kind of stuff. But what's interesting is that particularly through music, and particularly through this music in the early 90s, some of these ideas propagated. Now, culturally, this music died off pretty rapidly to the, hey, we're all making lots of money, we're kind of occasionally drug dealers, but mostly we're multimillionaires, version of, you know, rap, hip-hop that came shortly after that. But I still think within that, those series of ideas, many of which persist, and many of which persist in Gabriel's social groups, which I have to commend, because I have historically looked for these kind of people. In fact, that was one of my joys of working with um, hip-hop groups, was oftentimes there was a kind of shared collective of this knowledge, particularly in the early 90s, that we could all talk about analysing various periods of the history, you know, associated with this kind of narrative. So, yeah, Gabriel, I'm, I'm giving you an offer of my time and potentially even my space. Let's get this thing together. And moreover, I'd like to utilise this as a means of you educating me associated with the perspective that you have and that is uniquely associated with Oakland, and me also hopefully giving some assistance associated with how you format relatively intellectually intense podcasts for the broadest possible audience. But I just want to put that out there. 
And I commend him for his work. I think within his circles and within his ideas, he could probably do exactly what he wants, even without my assistance with a bit of critical listening. But I still was really captured by him as an individual because I could see, although astrology is not my thing, a like-minded person associated with trying to get information out to an audience and really being almost more than driven, um, almost obsessive. <laughs> you know, I, I'm looking at the difference between I'm trying to, getting information out to people and changing the way people think. Yes. And I used to think I was trying to get information to people, but I don't think that anymore. Mm. I don't think giving them information makes much difference. That's been my experience over the years. But your that, role has changed as well. But well, please the world, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just giving my my reaction to what you're saying. That's well, all. yeah, I guess my perspective is what you do in these recordings is very much what you are saying. What I do in these recordings has some of what you're saying, but also is about packaging this information and getting it to people. It's yeah, the nature of yeah. actually doing production work on something yeah. versus coming on as talent, for want of a better term. <laughs> Not to belittle your participation in these recordings at all, Harold. <laughs> so, do you have anything to add to, to this? Yeah, I did along the way, but mm-hmm. now I can't think of what the hell it was. I, I didn't bother to write it down, so there you go. The benefit of having a pen and a piece of paper while uh, doing these recordings. Uh, I've got uh, notes on paper that I can uh, scratch away. Well, I've got my keyboard right in front of me. Mm. You know, not a problem. No, I just, um, there were a bunch of sort of passing thoughts, but... Um, do you know anything about do you know anything about black nationalism historically or I mean have you delved uh, I, I read Soul on Ice and mm-hmm. Malcolm X mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know so no really I've read a couple books yeah I don't know anything but I assume that uh, 98% of them are a bunch of unconscious language monkeys and there were a few people who were actually uh, <laughs> you know thinking and coming up with some good ideas if I can give a vignette into that, one of the things that fascinates me about this as a cultural movement is the role of women. And we've talked historically... Angela about- Davis. Exactly, yes. <laughs> well, yes. Well, I mean, we've talked historically associated with the role of women in the zeitgeist movement. But within this particular movement, and historically, yeah. women have had very strong and very powerful roles. And this is embodied itself in an ongoing female narrative within these communities which i would like to see more of in general i mean i think the role of women in society and in particular you know one might argue associated with civil rights going backwards for a variety of folk but the loss of civil rights that women have seen in the past you know, 20 years indicates that the kind of empowerment which still exists within these communities has just been lost. It is to a broader group. But it strikes me, particularly the notion of a kind of strong warrior woman, which was portrayed in a variety of avatars of, of Gabriel's friends, struck me as being something that I certainly, you know, I like to embody in my discussions with my spiritual advisor and these kind of things that really... Yeah, the 
the, the, what is sold in society currently for women is really a travesty. And we rarely talk about it on Stone Ape, which is why I've encouraged female listeners and participants to uh, submit questions and get us discussing along those lines, but also why I'm sympathetic to my recording with Liz Swan. Yeah, I mean, in the in the realm of language monkeys, some very curious things have gone on here. Well, you know, my sense is, what, maybe 95% of men are unconscious language monkeys 95% of the time. Mm-hmm. And women are a lot better. They're probably only like 90% unconscious language monkeys Mm. most of the time. Well, something caught me early on through my spiritual advisor's illness. We have a little market at the end of the street that predominantly caters to our Latino community here. And I bought some cookies for my wife there. She asked for Oreos. They had Oreos, but they had a few other kinds of cookies. And one of them was what I would call a tea biscuit in the UK or Australia. And on the back had a photograph of two women having a really good conversation with cups of tea in their hand. This is an idiom in our culture, well, it's almost an idiom, associated with women getting together and having conversations. There's nothing equivalent for men uh, aside from drinking alcohol right. and talking about sports about football yeah exactly yeah, at the sports but they bar. can't get into the deep <laughs> level of conversation no, no, that women are no, still encouraged men, to do men yeah. are the most shallow that's why yeah i'm so glad i'm a man yeah i can't imagine having a man for a lover yeah God, what a tragedy yeah. <laughs> Shit. yeah women are un- disquietingly open about talking about what's real (laughs) you know makes me squirm yeah (laughs) yeah anyway i just wanted to leave that footnote on that discussion (laughs) a topic that i had earlier in the week related to the notion of discovering people's sexuality through repairing their computers (laughs) and this is a series of quite amusing stories not necessarily from my misspent youth but certainly into my early 20s associated with tasks that i had because i was the the person to come to and get your computer fixed by tom like he did a particular i may have told you the story but i once was invited to a party (laughs) where i didn't know anyone there except apparently one of the people there who i who you know was throwing the party, had met me very briefly three years before, and she had a broken computer that she was looking for me to repair. So I turned up to this party with the perspective, firstly, that my friend, my childhood friend who stayed with me recently, had gone to a party a few weeks previously and had been jumped at the party by a group of thugs that wanted to rip him off his money or something. And I turned up at this party quite sheepishly, looking around, trying to work out who I knew there, only to find out over in the distance, yes, that woman was someone I once knew, and yes, she wanted me to repair her computer. I wrote a very polite <laughs> thank you letter the next day to her, explaining really? that it was, it was a pleasure to turn up for the party. Because, you know, I turned up... Firstly, I couldn't work out... When you, when you get given an invitation to a party that you don't know anything about... Probably a majority of the listeners to Stone Age would never actually attend that party. No, so I'm already probably in trash can immediately. Yeah. <laughs> but as it was at the time, I still drank alcohol. I turned up there with my little six pack of beer, hoping for a good conversation and, you know, maybe knowing someone at the party. 
Um, and thanks. Hey, who knows? You might even get lucky. Yeah, not at this kind of party. Well, I knew as soon as I entered the party. No, but there's always a possibility. Not at this party, Heron. Really? Oh, okay. Believe that me. That was always a possibility in my no, life. No, this was... This it was may have actually, been slim, but... <laughs> if This was actually like a group of conservatives. Like, they looked like they were young Republicans, to use an American metaphor. Oh, but that doesn't make any difference, because you never know what can happen. There's always one... There can be one, you know, again... Well, anyway, believe no. me, the way these people were looking at me, I was like a homeless person turning up yeah, to the ball. Yeah, yeah, you anyway, were clearly, yeah, I got. I it. was clearly out of place. Anyway, through repairing, particularly male folk, although not exclusively men, I would occasionally discover these directories that were filled with bizarre pornography. The worst case <laughs> scenarios were that the person wasn't around. Or actually, it was worse if the person was around. But I would always swiftly move away from those directories because there's certain things that you really don't want to know about anyway. <laughs> the funniest story in this light, historically, <laughs> was associated with our favourite topic, our listener favourite topic, the phone hacker John Draper Crunch, ladies and gentlemen. When I picked up a computer and repaired it for him and then passed it on to someone. However, I've decided, based on events later in the week, that I actually wouldn't tell this story for a variety of reasons. John Draper appeared on Alex Jones, and apparently, again, thanks to our listener Gabriel, and I soon discovered, actually, by communicating with John directly, he has appeared on Alex Jones a few times. In fact, Alex Jones is his primary source of kind of health-related panhandling that he does periodically. I've known Crunch... Actually, I've known Crunch for a majority of my life. Um, I met him when I was 18 and I'm now 38, so I've known him for 20 years. And he's one of the few people who I've known that's kind of straddled, for want of a better term, um, my life in Australia and my life in the US. And I have an interesting relationship with him because I strongly advise people to take a variety of cautions when they meet him. But on a kind of communicative level, aside from when he's terrorising my pets and my spiritual advisor... I can actually deal with him, and he's an interesting anomaly, both in the history of computers and also just his ability, as he's done currently with Alex Jones, to kind of insert himself in the popular consciousness at any given stage. So, through this interaction last night, actually, we were chatting about his book, which I'm still apparently an editor on, and I'll be given chapters shortly. And I mentioned that I have two books, including a book called Fire in the Valley, that I think are really good references associated with the history of computing in the early 80s. John said to me that they're releasing the third edition of Fire in the Valley in February in San Francisco, and he has been invited to that launch. And he asked me if I wanted to come along. And I thought, historically, I've had these kind of interactions with Crunch continuously, and historically I've also had a number of curious interactions with him, and I've always given my honest advice to him, particularly associated with releasing articles with his mental health and all this other kinds of stuff. But he is someone who, very much like Bruce Damer, who I interact with periodically, but also I can be critical of, just through my interaction. Through this conversation, um, particularly with Gabriel's noting, there was some discussion associated with, and I think you promoted this topic, Heron, associated with who was more popular, Alex Jones or Joe Rogan. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting because... Do you have numbers on that? Uh, I, I don't... 
I would assume that Joe Rogan is about a third of the size of Alex Jones, but it mm-hmm. could be that he's a 15th the size. It's in that yeah. kind of... Okay, thing. so anyway, Jones is a major... Yeah. Something. I was shocked at, at, at his demeanor, actually. Well, you that's know, why people part. listen to him. I, I I didn't I don't remember I mean I'd seen him before but mm. he he's he's seems to be modeling himself after a Christian evangelist now. Well, well has I've he been, always been that yeah, way? I've, I've listened to him on and off, and uh, to be frank, I've never really listened to him seriously. But I did when I was in Vegas listen to five of his shows in succession. Uh-huh. He is satirizing. I mean, he don't. I think he understands himself as a satire of himself. I mean, I don't think there's any confusion that he has on a personal level associated with that you don't think he believes the shit he's saying i think a lot of the stuff that he says is actually linguistic trance related and when you listen to it in particular the speed at which he says what he says oh yeah a lot of it i think is actually on the verge of kind of rote learnt linguistic trance stuff yeah it's uh, text prediction and it's not <laughs> it's not in any way coherent which is i think the frustration certainly that, um, you know, our historical... No, he's uh, like a Christian preacher. Yeah, I think... Th- and, and he's got his texts yeah. that he that he's running, you know? My frustration through his work is the... About the fifth of what he's... A fifth of what he says I agree with. And the remaining four-fifths completely discredit him, in my perspective. But also, my concern is that too many people who are swayed away from the fifth that I agree with because of everything that he says. It's one of these strange things where if you become... He's he's very inclusive of fringe views, I guess would be the easiest way to put it. Yeah. And a lot of the fringe views that he purports are, I think, difficult yeah. to follow through with. Yeah, yeah. However, I do feel that the movement against independent thought, particularly through the mass media, political parties, all this kind of stuff, is so systemic in our culture yeah. that it has to be identified explicitly, and he does do that. Um, but well, a lot of people. I mean, well, he has an audience, though. Certainly. Yeah. yeah, but the problem is the rest of the shit he's saying, and, and why, you know, whether the people, who, you know, what, what is his gross impact on, on the thought processes in the world? For My sense the is... People, the people I've known who've had... Infowars, which is his brand sticker on, typically have also had Zeitgeist stickers as well. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, shit. The conversion between these two camps seems to be relatively Well, maybe fine. that's a good thing. All these lines are starting to blur then. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's not a bad idea. A point that I wanted to make associated <laughs> with Connor's, Connor's question, or whatever what he framed to us, was this notion of independent media. I'm a firm supporter for anyone, be it Gabriel, be it you, be it yeah. me, be it you know, Alex Jones, what have you, to have the ability put to... Put their shit out there, And man. more importantly, <laughs> yeah. the more folks that are putting their shit out there, the harder it is for political parties, CNN, <laughs> a variety of these things to yeah. actually yeah. continue their grip. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's already it's already gone so, a long way in that direction. But know? I thought critically through your framing, because certainly I've historically, and I've had no qualms about saying it, I mean, I've said it quite publicly on this podcast periodically, thought that there was a good overlap between Joe Rogan's listeners and potential folks who'd be interested in Gendo and potentially folks who'd be interested in Oh, yeah, in sure. Yeah. This, the thing that dawned on me through this, the period of change of my thinking was actually realising that the salon audience would be slightly better 
than the Joe Rogan audience because Joe Rogan covers a number of different topics. Yeah, and he's got all overlaps. Yeah. yeah, more tightly. And I, the salon thing is a lot more intellectual. You know, I mean, just Joe Rogan sitting there with his T-shirt mm. changes the, the game. Well, also, <laughs> yeah. I mean, my perspective actually with regards to mixed martial arts is not particularly positive. And I think that, in part through, as I told the story previously on Stone Ape, my experience seeing a small child being beaten by a mixed martial artist at a Christmas Eve function in Las Vegas... That is what does that have to do with martial arts? That has to well, do no, with no, a no, no, fucking psychological moron. Well, let's move into this. So mixed martial arts... It would be okay if he wasn't a martial arts artist, if he was mixed. just a normal guy beating up a three-month-old. Let me... Three-year-old. <laughs> three-year-old. Oh, three-year-old. Well, shit, he probably deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> mixed martial arts is a very specific thing, and it's designed, or it's certainly been designed in recent years... To be a, a kind of subset of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Because Brazilian jiu-jitsu is out of the martial arts, at least that have got percolated through this spectrum. Yeah. The martial art that enables you to strangle and knock out someone swift, as swiftly as possible. Through the land race strain discussion that we've had on Stone Ape, you will already see my perspective. And we've also talked about this with regards to science and various libertarian perspectives on science. I actually like to have broader, more eclectic elements. And my perspective is, for example, the notion of the death blow or striking away at three inches, all these kind of things, don't play into mixed martial arts at all. You you need to get someone knocked out repetitively, quickly and easily. And all these martial arts that have somewhat, you know, mystical elements to them, particularly associated with knocking people out with less than direct contact... <laughs> completely well, if that works, they'd be in there. <laughs> well, this is where it gets interesting because my perspective is that actually within these elements there are some things. I mean, you can you can move your body if you train your body well enough, so it's not visible to do these things. And my, I have a certain physics perspective on the notion of these, you know, super fast blows that appear to yeah. be non-contact. But, you know, it also has to do with uh, the expectations of your opponent. Certainly. That they, they have to be operating in the same system. Certainly. It, it, yeah. that, that shows up in, like in sumo. It, yeah. It's really, really obvious, since I didn't come to it naturally, that they react, they react differently to, to the, to certain, certain ways mm. that lead to certain kinds of falls that, don't seem quite right, and yet they're absolutely perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's because they, because both those wrestlers know what they're doing, yeah. and they know how to respond. They've learned how to respond. So it's um, well, I'm not sure where I was going with that. Well, but. another metaphor that gives the same example is the notion that within potentially within the Amazon, there are plants that could mm. cure diseases. But rather than going to the Amazon and spending, you know, three decades studying some plants to try and find those things, we have economic means where, you know, we have a means of discovering things within very tight parameters that don't enable this kind of exploration. So I'm always concerned when I see systems that have optimized very swiftly, and this came through the land race discussion as well, on something which is near enough, good enough, but not quite as far as potentially could be if you put yeah. in a bit more effort. Yeah. And yeah. so that is something that I've always had in my own, you know, intellectual toolbox, which has always kind of raised red flags. I think the other perspective with regards to Joe Rogan in particular is, and to a lesser extent Alex Jones, is that Joe Rogan is part of a quiet network. And I've talked a little bit about this in previous podcasts with regards to 300 bucks. 
But also, I think he gives a lot of freedom and a lot of airtime to folks that I just don't think are, you know, merit, aside from the mixed martial arts stuff, merit any discussion. So you have this very low uh. threshold with a lot of his interactions, and then you have, you know, one podcast in 12, or maybe even one podcast in 20, that's absolutely exceptional. I've stopped listening to his stuff. I stopped listening... Towards to the, to Joe Rogan, oh, towards okay. the end yeah. of last year. Um, it was a conscious effort on my part, because firstly, I wasn't getting a lot out of it, but I was also interacting with a fellow who Joe had gone out of his way to promote, and I realised through that interaction that there was some clear misstep between what we were trying to do here and Joe Rogan's audience, and I rectified that misstep with what happened in the salon, and got very positive feedback yeah. on that accordingly. Yeah, yeah. In terms of your asking the question, though, Heron, the question being the question being who has the larger audience oh yeah alex jones or joe by a, Rogan. By a yeah. long shot yeah but i think within and, that, and, and, yeah. and 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 alex jones to uh rush limbaugh yeah i, I mean I, I assume limbaugh has more well the thing is that alex jones never went into commercial radio i mean maybe he did people know of his history well, it's just about numbers that. i mean number of people well, you see, I think Rush Limbaugh probably is smaller than Alex Jones. Really? Particularly through Rush Limbaugh. I mean, Rush Limbaugh... He's been around for a long time. I know, but he's lost a good portion of his yeah, audience. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It must have been. Well. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm thinking, is that he's getting a little long in the tooth now. We need it's somebody not just that. To Within his recording space, there's um, a guy called Savage. Is it John Savage? Anyway, there's there are a series of people that do what Rush Limbaugh does. Does, ah, really? They've actually ah. evolved and improved their ah, okay. game to their particular ah. audience. Ah, and Rush okay. Limbaugh, in large part through you know, probably <sighs> chemical dependency. And these guys are all in. Uh, th- these are all internet things. Well, no, actually, a majority of them are traditional radio, but they've been able to take his stations away from him quite successfully. Radio. I'm trying to think. You know, I was thinking about television mm. and radio. What? Mm. Those words don't even mean anything anymore, do they? Well, it's interesting because people... There's a certain group of people that still... um, Although my father-in-law doesn't work when he worked, he would drive home and he would listen to particular commentators on the radio. Now, historically, he would have listened to Rush Limbaugh, but now he... he, or Then he started listening to the savage guy who he preferred because basically his... he, He wasn't just getting something that was clearly a pitch from the Republican Party. You know, there yeah. was sufficient analysis within there where you could classify that there were even bad Republicans and, you know, there yeah. these perspectives going on. And, I mean, my perspective with this is, although I don't share the political views, I understand the media concepts of actually improving and refining your audience and talking to them very directly. But, I mean, this is, you're talking, that. but, again, I'm still trying to figure it out. This is a guy driving in a car listening to his FM radio. Or AM radio. Or AM radio, yes. okay. Not on some satellite radio network. Clearly not there yet. And that, okay. I think, is still a captive, or at least a captive but, I mean, in most part. Is that the, is that a... Okay, Jesus. People in their car on their mm-hmm. way home from their job that they probably don't like. Exactly. That yeah. those immigrants are taking away from them. Yeah, that's, you know. that's so, right. The, the interesting so, thing now is that podcasts have replaced a good portion of that audience. I know this primarily from yeah. Model Rail Radio, where a majority of the listeners that consume the podcast religiously and go back and re-listen to the how many, three, maybe four and a half, you know, hundred hours worth of audio that I put out through Model Rail Radio, there are people that will listen to it cyclically in their commutes. 
and get and, and what do they do? Different. They just download it from the web mm-hmm. and put it onto an a iPod CD or, or something or an well, iPod. No, I mean, typically yeah. most vehicles now, even vehicles yeah. of kind of five, ten years ago, can get little extensions that can enable you to play podcasts uh, through okay. them. Through with an iPod, you mean? Yeah, some, there's yeah, an yeah, FM, okay. there's an or a FM, phone or something. There's a yeah. low frequency FM broadcaster, which means that all you need is a connector and an FM radio, and you can get it streaming in some cases. Okay, all right, but that's still well. That's the big divide, isn't it? I guess there are still a bunch of well, cars. Well, they're now getting to be connected. That's mm. that's one of the things that's starting to happen now. Is it cars? And they can or- be yeah, they can be connected independently of the make of car. So yeah, you can right, actually yeah, get external yeah. third party things yeah. that will enable you to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's just beginning, but but mm. yeah, that'll get handled obviously pretty quickly. And I think this is Alex Stone's I mean my understanding is that it's, there are some broadcasters in some regions that carry the Alex Jones show live over radio waves, but I think a good number of his listeners Well, that's up, that's fine if people want to yeah. do that, they can do that. Yeah. I mean you could you could make it a, you could make a live stream available. Mm. Well, this is actually using more traditional like FM well, I'm just talking about over the internet, you know, uh, what we're doing, you yeah, know, could certainly. be going out live and it could have video involved yeah, in it. Certainly. Yeah. And then it could, and then it could be available as a podcast afterwards. Yeah. Hmm. That's right. It doesn't really make any difference. The networks, all that shit's all irrelevant at this point. It's like whether you got something that put, if the yeah. listener is willing to put in something, well, but then yes, it is. Well, you, if you're, you've got to know your audience, that's yeah. all, you know, if your audience is up to that level of technical sophistication, if they're not, then they're out of the game. Hmm. But I mean, that's, that's clearly the growing segment though. I mean, the old segment is a dying segment. Hmm. No, it, and this exactly is the problem that Rush Limbaugh faced. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. In the now he's got all this, all these, this competition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a, it's going to be really interesting to watch this all play that has, out. Yeah. Competition that had, has listened to him more than he has listened to him. <laughs> that's right. So they've been able to tune themselves quite dynamically in ways uh, that he hasn't yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I've actually, I mean, historically, I've listened periodically to the likes of Alex Jones. I actually find survivalist podcasts considerably more interesting because they're on a completely different level. I mean, they're talking about race wars and the coming apocalypse and all this (laughs) kind of stuff. I mean, Alex Jones hints at that, but he's not really talking, although he's talking about colloidal silver and all this other, you know, maybe he doesn't use colloidal silver, but, you know, medicinal silver and medicinal (laughs) supplements for your bunker and these kind of things. But if you look at the, like, survivalist podcasts... They are taking it to a completely different level. And I, I mean, I'm sympathetic to some of their ideas. I mean, well, they might be right. <laughs> it's not that they might be right. It's that you should move yourself out of your comfort zones intellectually frequently in order to firstly discard unnecessary things that you might be hanging on to, but yeah. also appreciate that there are reasons that people adopt these perspectives and you will encounter these people. Oh, yeah. If yeah. you live in the well, world. Well, yeah, unless you've made. Your life a hermitage. Yes, unless you've committed to never talk to anyone. Yeah. Well, or just talking to them under certain circumstances and, or to play their game when, when they're around. I mean, it's, it's not that hard to deal with them. <laughs> really. They're, yeah. they're totally unconscious. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, probably twice I can think of, I've been able to have a coherent and extended conversation associated with 80% firearms. 
cannabis I'm waiting for, actually, because now this idea has gone out and I've actually put it out in Stone Ape. What? Um, what I... Well, th- that I am now card-carryingly affiliated, oh, associated oh, yeah. with these things. Yeah, yeah. That, um, you know, I'm surprised that uh, of the folks that listen and I interact with in the physical form, no one has actually mentioned this. Maybe it's just a topic that they don't want to broach with me, I mean, which I'm perfectly... Maybe they just don't give a shit. Yeah, true. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, in the spectrum of the stuff that we put out with Stone Ape, the one thing I will say for our listeners is that they do selectively pick what they enjoy. And they can be completely different from what we would predict that they would enjoy. And it typically is. In fact, what I found fascinating is that listeners will say to both of us, you know, the thing I like is when you say this. And I think you've explicitly said, do I ever say that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently apparently somebody is saying it. Somebody heard me say it. Or maybe they hallucinated that they heard me saying it. You know, I don't know. Yes. Heron came to me in a dream. (laughs) And he said, just do it. Yes, I, I see. A, I see a, a murder trial framing itself. <laughs> yeah, well, I think within probably the first couple of years that you and I talked, I somewhat jokingly said to you, um, it was associated with the fellow who shot uh, the Gifford uh, representative or the representative yeah. Gifford uh, right. in Arizona. Yeah. That she, um, the fellow who shot her, anyway, had um, was a devoted follower of a particular linguist. Chomsky? I, no. <laughs> no, no. Uh, what Chomsky. was his name? What was his name? I remember. Tinker, maybe. No, I, no, I remember. He's some, he's some old up in Montana guy. He's not a known linguist in this area. Oh, it's, okay. It's the notion yeah. of, in fact, my childhood friend who stayed with me had a, an evening conversation with me associated with, I think it's, um, is it the statesman's movement or the freeman movement where they view, um, Language as a means of overcoming the oh, war. Oh, yeah. I'm, I've run into a bunch of if those people over two, the years. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're real fun. Yeah. They're about as wacky as you can get, I think. Actually, I, I find them remarkably conservative in their perspective. Because well, that's what I'm still, saying, yeah. I mean... Still- <laughs> They still have a view where there's some core truth that they're accessing. Oh, I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's that. about as fucking crazy as you can get. <laughs> From I mean, really? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get any crazier than yeah. that. They think, well, and they still, and they think that they can get away with like using language properly for what the words really mean. Yes, and that will right. enable them to overcome the law. Th- that's right, sure. Yeah, try that in court and see how far that goes. Well, that's what <laughs> was interesting, because I actually know the court cases, at least the most outlandish examples of the court cases, where this has been completely shot down in flames, which the whatever the movement is called, and I can't remember the specifics. I think it's the free man movement. Yeah, I thought it was the free man movement. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they all say, oh, no, these were amazing successes when this person was jailed for 20 years and <laughs> lost all his property. That's called a win in our book. Which just proves that if you reconstruct the language to your own ends, everything That's right. can be a win. We're, yeah, no problem. No more cognitive dissonance here. Yeah. Yes, this yeah. fellow, this linguist's name is actually scampering through my head currently. I'm hearing echoes of it in my head, oh. which is very, very curious to me. Would I know him, do you think? We went through him in a Stone Ape. We actually analyzed his uh, perspective to quite I mean, a little is that, I mean, but you're talking about the, th- this is all the stuff that this Freeman movement and the no, specific no, no, no. meaning is, of words. No, 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 no. This was a specific linguist thinker who had been a machinist and then he became a linguist. He had this perspective, and he was followed by the guy who shot Gifford. And my perspective was that if ever 
anyone shot someone and then pointed to your work, this would be like the big break for you. <laughs> the big break. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is what you've aimed for your entire life. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, really. It's an iPod full of Stone Ape podcasts <laughs> in the pocket of someone who does a mass shooting. <laughs> so you can appear on CNN and be. Uh, should I be laughing at this or should I be in horror of this well, as a perspective? So. The thing that interests me about this is actually <laughs> Lorenzo has periodically pointed out that the psychedelic salon is heavily downloaded by both the FBI and the CIA. <laughs> and he's followed this for years and actually. Is, is that jokes. true? Well, I mean, my experience with regards to Noble Ape was that the the bodies that downloaded it in mass were always really curious. Like the Iranian military, for example. Like for two years, the Iranian military, by two orders of magnitude, was the highest downloader of Noble Ape source code. <laughs> so my perspective is that when you try to track these things you will discover a variety of really curious things like china with regards to some of your recordings Aaron. so yeah i mean anyway let's take lorenzo's perspective as being something close to the case yeah yeah I've always well, then I'm dead. <laughs> I'm fucked. my perspective actually is that next time we're on the salon we should instigate this more <laughs> like, you know, FBI, start your recording now, you know. My perspective, actually, is that um, certainly because I've periodically, I mean, at least through my mother's work, come in contact with these kind of people, in particular associated with a, a kind of group of, quote-unquote, cyber revolutionaries, who, in, had they been doing a decade after what they were yeah. doing a decade earlier, would be terrorists. Although, it's interesting, actually, because there's a growing discussion associated with whether the term terrorist requires the person to be a Muslim. And in that light, they ah, wouldn't be terrorists. Nobody seriously uh, suggests that, do they? I think there's a good analysis associated with that. The, the perspective well, I mean, of you could terrorists take a case for it, but I mean... I mean, for example, a guy who... A whole lot of other shit. Well, the guy who flew the plane into the IRS wasn't considered a terrorist. There are a variety of things... No, that's what I'm saying, is, is that uh, you could make a case for it that way, but not, not with any integrity. Clearly, terrorism is uh, a universal thing. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I'm slightly more sympathetic to this than you are. Because I think, actually, a lot of the ideas that are classified... What about Northern Ireland? Well, that's where it gets very interesting, doesn't it? Because you can't talk... The whole nature of the contemporary language is that you can't talk coherently associated with the past. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that may be true, too. Yeah. Well, we can't even, we can barely, we're doing good if we can talk coherently about the future. I mean, the present. The yeah. present and the future. Yeah. But yeah, the, the legacy of the Mujahideen is originally being freedom fighters to terrorists, when in fact they're basically the same dudes with the same philosophy. Yeah, well, and the, and the Noriega, and, or not Noriega, but the... Well, Noriega works as well. Uh, well, that, but I was thinking in Nicaragua. The, Certainly, the Contras. And, yeah, yes, all yeah. that shit, yeah. yeah. So, no, it is, I mean, I think you're just making my point for me associated with the way that language and, you know, terms and these kind of things are all mapped together. Anyway, returning to this, the feedback that I've received from intelligence workers associated with stuff that I've done with groups that probably would be considered terrorist groups under certain language analysis seems yeah. to indicate that they're actually considerably more laid back than one would initially consider. Well, However, let's hope they're not complete fucking idiots. Well, <laughs> yeah. those that are actually become remarkably successful and get promoted. That's I mean, right. Those are the ones that get promoted, right? <laughs> what, 
the thing I find through these narratives is the number of mentally ill people that are, you yeah, know, told yeah. to become bomb makers and all this kind of stuff and are set up for, you know, 20 plus years in prison. And then this whole thing is described as protecting us in some way because the FBI can actually coalesce mentally ill people to drive what they think truck bomb uh, truck bombs into Times Square and this kind of stuff. If this in any way makes us safer, all <laughs> <laughs> oh, very curious time. But yeah, no, my perspective is actually that um, increasingly we should actually court the intelligence community associated with our particular. That's right, that's right. They're human beings, yeah. man. They're just like you and me. Mm. You know, ah. That we should, yes, we should have a 10-minute segment then each time devoted to helping them overcome their present uh, disabilities linguistically. And we funnily enough wandered perfectly by chance into my final topic, or at least my final... Well, you know, actually, topic. I'm thinking what we should do is do yeah. a special podcast just for them. Uh, my concern with that is actually <laughs> that we, unless we, I mean... I wouldn't want to put out a podcast unless who I actually... Who would we be doing it for? The FBI? The NSA? Who, who uh, I mean, who, do you, know, you're, you probably know, right? All the right names and the organizations. I don't know. I, mean, I would start with the CIA. I mean, my perspective CIA, is the CIA okay. of the federal agencies that has done... Some... Not forget the FBI? We can get to the FBI, but let's start with the CIA. Okay. All right. I mean, my perspective with the CIA, and it's funny actually because I was watching the documentary associated with Bill Colby, who was a CIA director through yeah. the Vietnam War. There's a documentary called The Man Nobody Knew, and I've written, I've written, I've watched it previously quite critically. It's basically his son creating a documentary associated with his father. I have a very strong perspective associated with Bill Colby. I think this man should, under any natural circumstances, be brought up for war crimes, and I have some intimacy associated with some of these perspectives, uh, but I think he's an example of someone who really should have the spotlight shone on him and should be discussed in schools as a means of actually completely disassembling the CIA. And the fact that his legacy comes through the Bush family, Cheney, Rumsfeld, <laughs> a variety of folks who've already done their work for us. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, and, sir. And have created, you know, created an, a new generation. I mean, in terms of the family business, in inverted commas. Oh, they're doing great, yeah. Bill Colby is the start of this. And, well, actually, he's not, but he's within a continuum that should be analysed critically. What struck me of the man that nobody knew, as I watched it the second time, is that it's almost perverse in its experience. I've talked historically associated with a documentary called Dear Zachary, which is about a kid who, well, it's about a series of murders. And the narrative in Dear Zachary is so counter what a normal human being would consider, in particular associated with survival self-preservation, but also associated with the preservation of your kin, that it strikes me that the narrative, and it's based, the documentary maker is based in Sunnyvale, he's a local to me, and it shows to me the completely skewed perspective that living in relative affluence, shielded from any degree of hostile reality, produces in a kind of intellectual discourse. The man nobody knew isn't dear Zachary in that extreme, but I am caught by a narrative that I find disgusting and disturbing that I'm being forced down my throat in documentary form. And it makes me, in terms of documentaries that I want to make, a counter-narrative to the man nobody knew 
in particular, looking firstly just within this country, and this is very difficult, but something that I think is quite necessary, associated with looking at um, my connection with this is associated with prisoners of war, but also it's associated with the narrative in this country, the changing narrative, the evolving narrative that the US actually won the Vietnam War and that uh, the South Vietnamese basically cocked it up and uh, America <laughs> uberalis, America always victorious, and there's absolutely no analysis associated with four failed <laughs> wars that could be had with Vietnam. Let's just move along. Um, so, yeah, I'm particularly empowered with regards to the Bill Cobby narrative. But the thing that interests me through this is a narrative that actually bureaucrats, pe- faceless people who think they're doing good work, or at least the bidding of their deity or whatever language machine is going on in their head, are folks who are perpetuating a lot of the nonsense that I think is, uh, you know, at least spiralling us into some kind of melees that none of us have any business being a part of. The story that people have got going has got to change. The one we've got, again, we've got a story that is centuries old. Mm. And the, the astute listeners to this podcast will understand that I have some intimate connection with this through discussions associated with what my mother has done historically. And also a strange kind of juxtaposition of my mother's social and cultural values and also what my mother did professionally. And I think the thing that I find curious through The Man Nobody Knew is none of that analysis is carried out by the host, perhaps intentionally, perhaps through a need to create a memory of his father that others will be palatable towards. But actually, I think it does an immense disservice to this kind of repeating Groundhog Day foreign (laughs) policy landscape that uh, this country in particular finds itself in continuously. Anyway, my point through this was bureaucrats and the way in which bureaucrats act with information in order to perpetuate and justify things that the rest of us have to deal with and pay for primarily. And the notion that if we were to cultivate a podcast, as you originally said, specifically for these bureaucrats, we would probably need to do some deeper dive analysis. Well, no, not for the bureaucrats, for the actual people who are listening to this. Well, that's the bureaucrats here. You think they're... Really? Yeah. Oh, I guess you're defining bureaucrats. Uh, Maybe yeah, I'm defining That's more of an analyst them. than a bureaucrat, I would think. I mean, that's actually going to listen to the I base... I think they all st- stay... At, I mean, they're all... At, you're right. In this country, in particular, yeah. analysts are typically third parties, but they're basically yeah. sucking on the same teat, right? Well, yeah, their pays come from But, I mean, I think of a bureaucrat as some guy who's filing papers somewhere. Well, you're right. The analyst creates the papers for the bureaucrats. Yeah, yeah, right. So somebody's actually listening to this. Yes. I mean, I guess, right? Is that what you're suggesting? Well, I, I, would, I would assert, and certainly this has come through. Do you think it was like that, that, that we got assigned to somebody? Some one guy is <laughs> listening to all of our stuff? But I guess, I mean, per Snowden, the culture internally, irrespective of whether they're analysts or bureaucrats, has to be simpatico, right? Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, just I'm just trying to get a sense of who, I mean, how that actually works. I mean, is there, like, did we get assigned to somebody? Uh, you know, okay, okay. You, I want you to listen to this Stone Ape co- podcast bullshit. Comes out once a week, I want you to listen to it. I, I could is probably that- actually track that person down if I really wanted to, Herod. 
If, if, if your assertion is correct, and it is going to assume... Well, it's, not a, it's not an assertion, it's a question. I'm asking, I mean... I can't answer it unless I yeah, test no, it. I, no, I, of course. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying it is if there is a small group of actual people who are actually listening to this, who work for the CIA or the FBI or whoever, the NSA or whoever the hell they work for... We could, we could try to we could begin to subvert the system from within. My perspective associated with this is having listened to a number of podcasts, in particular having listened to a number of podcasts do a particular dance around the fact that they're wanting to kill the president, pretty clearly. Um, <laughs> we don't talk about that enough, Heron. We don't give enough intimate details, and we certainly don't talk about the Well, president. we don't talk about... Yeah, except yeah. in obviously joking kinds of So ways. my perspective is that probably in the field of things, if they were looking for presidential threat podcasts, I've listened to a few of them previously, yeah. they are curious and interesting, but the main problem with the presidential uh-huh. threat podcasts is they never really go far enough. I actually think we've made more suggestive humour in that light, <laughs> probably, than they've ever no, seen. No, they probably actual... don't do any real political yeah. analysis yeah. at all. They just fucking hate Obama. Yeah. <laughs> The strange thing that I've always found about that is that they hate Obama based on the fact that he's continuing Bush-era policies that they just don't know were Bush-era <laughs> well, policies. Well, and the fact that he's a Muslim. Of course. <laughs> yeah. He's black, too, apparently. And, well, I, that's what I heard. So, yes. Let, if you are that person, I'm coming to track you down to show that to show you to Heron, and then we will start addressing you by your actual... Well, it may be just a small group of people who listen to a lot of this stuff, but I bet they talk to each other about it if they get something interesting. I think Lorenzo's concern, and I probably should also point this out, is that the DEA is probably more likely than maybe the CIA or the FBI. Ah, for him, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he has a very Yeah, he's asked, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he gives the focus on drugs. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, we're kind of hard to classify. That may be good for us. <laughs> you know, Unless we want to we actually got, know our CIA analyst, yeah, in which case yeah. it's not good for us, but yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah if, we, if we had just one axe to grind, then <laughs> it yes. would be much easier. Yeah, it's a bit like model rail radio. If we were that one topic over and over and over yeah, and over yeah. again. Yeah, then we could build an audience. Yeah. Yeah. I want to actually say to our listener from Paris that wrote five paragraphs associated with the distinctions between Noble Ape, Stone Ape, and Model Rail Radio. You yeah. are not the first to have done that. In fact, one of our listeners, Rich Murphy, has also emailed me to that perspective. I'll say this once, I'll say it again. All these things are different forms. I think what interests people is that I'm coherently able to do all three of them. Like, I guess there's a perspective that if you do Model Rail Radio, there's no way you can do Noble Ape or Stone Ape, and all equally likewise. I think it's perfectly coherent, and I always find it very curious when I get these strange emails. Normally, they're just directly to me. The benefit of you posting this in public is that others could read it as well. But I get roughly, well, not specifically associated with why do you do these three things that are all different, but I get roughly one of these kind of emails maybe every two, three weeks. Um, But they're normally just posted directly to me. So it was a very interesting move to post in a public forum, and I think by the end of it, the roles had switched slightly between all three. But anyway, maybe that was his evolution of thought. Do you do you get emails like that, Heron? Uh, no, I don't get any. Well, I do get once in a while, but I don't encourage email. Mm. Um, Skype is, if you know, and through a Facebook. That's mm. that's they're the considerably more intimate, though. Pardon? They're considerably more intimate. Like you actually have to speak to you. 
Like you well, no, use... no, there's text in there's no, no, Facebook messaging. Well, yeah, that's slightly less intimate, but Skype is certainly. Well, voice to voice is what I prefer. Yeah, yeah. but, but uh, no, but that's still good for file transfers and text too. Yeah. I mean, I, I communicate with quite a few people in text only in Skype. Yeah. You know? I mean, we may go voice for two minutes to clear something up if if we yeah. need to, or, or but uh, yeah, yeah. I just don't use email much. I hate email. I avoid it. I look at it once a day and throw away two thousand pieces of spam, yeah. and and look at two or three mailing lists that I'm on, and yeah, occasionally, is, yeah, yeah, once every three or four weeks, I get. So I just got one a couple of days ago from someone who was trying uh, with an answer to one of the puzzles on my website. Yeah, and of course they got it wrong. There's <laughs> <laughs> so, no right answer. That's the no. There right? is a right answer. No, there is a correct answer for mm-hmm. the, that puzzle, and um, and he didn't get it. <laughs> so I I went wrong. Try again, and um, you know I haven't heard back from him. That's but, I mean, that that doesn't happen very often. That's that's yeah. the good stuff I get in email. You know, I typically, I mean, historically I used to respond to email. When I used to just do Noble 8 related stuff, I would respond to email considerably more. I have exactly the same problem that Heron has. I get literally 2,000 emails a day because I've maintained the same email address for 14 yeah. years. Yeah. And um, I'm starting to get to the point where actually I might actually change my email address and just ah, move a start over. Yeah, start that's over. not a bad idea. Because this thing has gone on for too long the way it is. And what I do is actually, well, with, with the last one, when I moved email addresses previously, I wrote a little riddle that only people that knew something about me could answer. And that solved the thing of where they should email me if they needed to email me. Um, but yeah, email for me is just a broken technology. It's been broken primarily by the U.S. government and it's capitalism. That, yeah, the, well, that, that's I, what it in, is. If there was most, no m- way to make money on yeah. flooding my mailbox full of yeah. shit I don't care about, then they wouldn't do it. Or if it was actually seriously and forcibly illegal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's mm. problematic uh, if you want to have free speech. Too. Well, it's interesting so, because I've made this point. We now. might be flooded with all sorts of propaganda, political propaganda, <laughs> but yeah. that would be better than uh, commercial propaganda. About probably a twelfth of the spam I receive is political and basic. You know, I don't even look at it anymore. I, I I don't know. I just, I mean, I used to to worry about it, sort of whether I was missing something, you know, and I'd sort of scan through it. I don't even look anymore. I, I just miss things frequently, actually. I mean, this is part yeah. of the problem that uh-huh. people say. I've emailed you four times, but then they typically have really curious email addresses that look like spam anyway, yeah, and I yeah. have to point back yeah. to them. Actually, I, as far as I'm yeah. concerned, it's worth it. You know, I I just don't. I'm not going to give any more of my time to that shit. Yeah. It's just it's just a fucking time waste. But I do use it once in a while. I, I send other people emails once in a while. Yeah, I've started actually using my work email address for direct correspondence that I want, which is probably a bad thing. In fact, mm. I'm sure it's a bad thing. Yeah. But it's so much easier than going through this melee, and for actual atomic bits of information, it's very swift. Yeah, I, I have not figured. Well, actually, I'm not dissatisfied with what I'm doing now. Skype is mm. Skype and Facebook are the center. The center. <laughs> the center. What the hell was I thinking? The center of my sort of communications with people, mm. and uh, and e- email occasionally. But um, yeah, I mean, what else do I need? Facebook and and Skype. What else is there that that I could do? It's interesting it's, because it's, historically. 
I've looked at email as being something distinctly different from certainly voice communication and Facebook. But also, I unfriended someone last night. I unfriended yep. actually a school friend of mine on Facebook. I haven't unfriended people oh. in maybe four or five months. Yeah. But he. You unfriended somebody? Yes. Yeah. I, I went through, for folks who are new to this from the psychedelic salon, I once had, um, well, under 2,000, but well more than a 1,000 friends on Facebook. And it became so overwhelming to me, I cut it down to about 300. I think I'm probably about 250, somewhere up to 300. I mean, I've added friends recently from yeah. the psychedelic salon folk that have come over. Yeah. But I do go through these periods where I just re- substantially reduce... In fact, you have more than double my number of Facebook friends, Aaron. Yeah, I've got like... 650 or something. Yeah. 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 And and it's gone up by like 50 since, uh, you know, just since we did that psychedelic salon. Yes. Actually, people have found you way more approachable than me. Yeah. I guess I do these three things that don't make any sense to people. Like, how how can he do Stonet and Model Rail Radio and Nova Lake? That makes no sense. Yeah. I'm just a one trick pony. Exactly. Yeah. I'm the language guy, you yeah. know? It's real simple. <laughs> Tom, that, that fucking guy's complex, man. <laughs> And he does model railroading and noble eight and star eight. What's with that? Anyway. Yeah, what is he really doing? Exactly, because he can't be authentic with all three, can yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. In way. fact, what's particularly curious is periodically folks in the model rail radio community, and one started this week, started to like say, you know, maybe Tom's really like this and all this kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> the stone that. ape is the real Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Squash that instantly. The thing is, throughout Model Rail Radio, of the main participants in the community, I have done a number of things for them, which is typically outside the realm of, you know, what they'll do. Like, I've either assisted them, or I've sent them a bunch of stuff, because I'm just... People deluge me with stuff associated with Model Rail, and I just send it on to other people, because, like, it's, like, positive in both directions. Um, So, yeah, it's very difficult within the core community, even though there are people who are naysayers periodically you know, occasional bomb throws, for anyone really to say anything against me in that light, because I have clearly demonstrable actions to go against, you know, any supposed, oh, really, he's trying to make money here. Well, (laughs) right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so (laughs) we are now in the realm of, uh, oh, actually, one final topic, which came from Dave Falkenberg, long-time listener. I've got to apologize to Dave, because he is a participant, a member of the local Silicon Valley Lions train club, which one Friday I was able to record a Stone Ape and then go there. My hope was this evening I would be able to do that, but I'm just completely shocked. <laughs> so I'm not going... So Dave, this one's for you. Dave posted a picture of a guy with 3D glasses sucking on a shake with what appeared oh, to be yeah. his hands down his pants sitting in a public area. <laughs> and so he awesome. said, this is that. the future, or this was at least the topic of the article. And he decided not to post any commentary because he wanted you no, and me to rap need, about it. No, he doesn't need any commentary. <laughs> you see, this is the future we don't talk about, right? We talk about the intellectual future with the no more language monkeys, <laughs> everyone getting together and all this freedom and what have you. Really, it's a guy in a public place masturbating with 3D glasses sucking on a shake. That's the future. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't even get the pants or the, the hand thing. Uh, <laughs> well, you need to be soon. I, 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 I think you need to be predisposed to that interpretation. You know, it was so perfectly done, though. No, no. Well, it doesn't. The, the hands thing is irrelevant, really. I mean, it just, I mean, 
without all of it's that. It's just a je ne sais quoi. Eric. It's just a it's just um it's just a beautiful photograph. Yeah. Yeah. It's just awesome. I love it. <laughs> See, but the thing is, I don't think we need to worry about that because he's not going to go out. He's going to stay at home. Why should he go out? He, he's to get his shakes. No, he can get his shake and bring it home. He's going to sit home and do this. He's, he's sitting in a food court. No, no, no. It's too much trouble. You know, look at Yeah, He doesn't want to go out. Uh, he must. No, the That's trouble the is him advantage of the, the trouble of him actually pouring ice cream and milk and flavoring into a blender, pressing the blender, then potentially having to clean it, it up. You know, he can have it delivered. Yeah. Well, you can just listen. I'm, I'm just, Maybe he gets off oh, being oh. in the public place. Well, that's a different thing. That's a separate issue. I don't think that's uh, like I said. I don't think this in particular. Like, well, that's just my reaction to it. Is that I don't think that's going to happen. It might. I mean, some people would do it. Well, it'd be interesting to see whether this was a setup or, or what I assume this is a setup. <laughs> You'd hope this is a setup, but actually, it's probably. I hope so. Yeah, it's probably perfectly. Look in the Bay Area; that's certainly a legitimate thing. I'm just telling you. The guy's probably the CEO of some, exactly. some company, right? Yeah, he just sold his 3D sex technology to Google for forty billion dollars. Exactly. celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> now that's a party right there. Well, the party he's having, hell yes, yes. Yeah, well, see, I think I'm really sympathetic to the Matrix, but I don't think that, I mean, th- this is funny, it's a good picture, but I don't think that's the way it's going to work. <laughs> maybe we're just, maybe we're just blissly, blissfully naive to the possibility that that actually is the well-defined, I mean, the point that, um, I think the point that Dave made, or maybe that was made in the article, is that this has already been, like, this is already part of the popular consciousness associated with tongue-in-cheek science fiction movies about this is the way the future is, you know? Uh-huh. Well, um, well, the idea of virtual reality is, well, you know, what What was that um, Schwarzenegger movie about guys? Total Recall? Uh, yeah, Recall, Total Recall. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's what, I think we're going to have something like that available to us. Yes. At, at some point. And, yeah. uh, but again, it's not about sitting outside Starbucks <laughs> you know, it's just a little, it's going to be a little different than that, I think. Yeah. Well, you'd hope so. But. The only point to go to Starbucks would be to, to be at Starbucks and see what's going on there. I mean, you can do what he's doing at home. That's stupid. Mm. You know? <laughs> and, and a lot more comfortably. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so the only reason to go out, would, even with this technology, would be to, to leave your VR at home. Although that would become probably increasingly unlikely because since the VR is probably way more productive and fun and amusing and entertaining and novel than anything you're going to find at Starbucks, that, that, you know, there's just no point in going out anymore. Yeah, it was interesting, actually. Our house guest for Model Rail Radio was heavily addicted to caffeine, which meant every two hours, even as we were driving places... You'd mm-hmm. have to stop and get coffee. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, wow. And I found it actually, initially was kind of cute, but after a while it got kind of boring. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm all for hydration and stopping for restrooms <laughs> and all this kind of stuff, yeah. but this really was taken to an extreme. And I realized actually, and he pointed out, that we still have caffeine in the house, even though my spiritual advice really occasionally has a nice tea, but caffeine seriously fucks me up. Yeah. And I've stopped even eating chocolate. I mean, my spiritual advisor can't believe that I've taken it that far, but I really, chocolate messes with me too much. Huh. Yeah. Um, 
I'm just going to be because of the caffeine. Bread and water. Yeah, the caffeine. Huh. I'm just going to be a bread and water kind of guy. The alternative is, which I've talked about this historically in these recordings, is when my sleep, I waking up and having to go to a job and these kind of things, has not been hinged on getting up at a particular time and I've been able to sleep and then work to 3am and then wake up at, you know, 10 or 11 and then keep working. Yeah. When my life has been less tightly coupled with an office, I've been able to do these things and I might be able to reintroduce caffeine in those circumstances. But as it is currently, I certainly can't. Yeah. Well, yeah, the whole idea of smart drugs is real interesting. I've been exploring that, but I've been running up against dead ends the, through the VA. I mean, you can buy yeah. them, but they're expensive as hell. Yeah. Well, I've tried some of the stuff that Joe Rogan peddles and not had much success with it. Well, the only thing I've seen is modafinil. Yeah. And, uh, and that's just... Well, Crunch is getting stem cells currently. And, I mean, my perspective with that is that, you know, outside U.S. jurisdictions, there's potential through that kind of stuff to do. There's all sorts of possibilities yeah. out there. But, we, yeah, that now is when, well, now is when the research is being done. Yeah. I mean, nobody really knows yet. Outside uh, this country. I mean, yeah. the research can't be done in this country. Well, some of it is on, on certain levels. Sure, yeah. there's all sorts of stuff going on. Yeah. But, I mean, Bush was pretty clear what he wanted. Oh, the stem cell and, stuff yeah. is, is yeah, sort yeah. of. Well, but the, there's no prohibition against companies doing research. It's no, just they can't do research. You can't do research in stem cells as a company in this country. Yes, you can. You can't, but you can't, it can't be funded by anything federal. There's no, nothing can stop uh, a private company I from doing research. I thought that was explicitly banned. I don't think so. Okay. Well, I may be wrong, but uh, that was my sense. Yeah. No, I mean, historically, most prior to Bush, research, that was yeah. the case. Yeah. But I think there was actually an explicit ban into doing any well, research. Well, you know, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, what do I know? I, I just repeat the shit I read here and there, and who knows how much of it I remember accurately anyway. That's the beauty of the story. <laughs> yeah, my story is quite, I got a lot of slack in my story. Yeah. I need it. As you should. I'm trying to cultivate more slack in my story, too, but unfortunately, unfortunately, the nature of the work I do just doesn't afford me slack. No, no, you don't want any slack in that job, but you can use some slack personally. We can all use a little slack personally. Yes. Now, my (laughs) spiritual advisor has talked quite critically associated with how my present job has changed me. Really? Uh, Yeah, that she thinks, and I mean, I agree with her in large part. I think there are aspects of my job that... um, you know, are not ideal, particularly in long-term cohabitation, but also, you know, the degree of analysis and also kind of counter-analysis. I mean, for example, I injured my back um, last Thursday, and the pain kind of continued into Friday to the point where I realized about 4 p.m. on Friday I had tunnel vision. Uh, that's not a good position to be in when you do the kind of stuff that I do. I mean, I'm not a pilot, but I do reflect heavily on the fact that pilots need to be aware when they have these kind of situations because you will instinctively i mean the nature of this kind of tunnel vision particularly associated with pain is that you will think you're doing just fine until you hit real really serious problems Mm -hmm. so yeah i'm very mindful of the fact that um there's been substantial change in my perspective and my interaction and some of this is really fun i mean don't get me wrong it isn't all negative and certainly i think um from my perspective the ability to have had this opportunity and continue to have this opportunity can't be sneezed at um but is it possible that you could find 20 minutes a day to sit in silence uh i do 
I don't think that's the problem. I think the no. I'm not talking about it being a problem. Yeah. I'm just asking if you if you do that yeah, and if course. it's possible. Okay, all right, never mind. Yeah. But that's. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is simply framed associated with uh, certainty. And philosophically, I'm very against certainty. But through the nature of what I do. I have a variety of procedures to establish certainty relatively quickly. No, but that's still bullshit. There is no certainty. Well, that's, Period. Yeah. You, you do what you can yes. <laughs> to counter it, yeah. you know, or to be as certain as you can, and yeah. that's, and then it's out certainly. of your hands. Yeah, certainly. But through this, this, um, this probabilistic analysis, there's a variety of factors oh, yeah. that are, you know, used accordingly. I think mainly, who makes the decision about what factors are being used? Uh, well, thankfully, where I work, it's down to the individuals, and you get so to you them. make those decisions. Yeah. Okay, well, but that makes you vulnerable, though, too. <laughs> well, that has to filter into it as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're talking in very abstract yeah. terms. It'd be as much easier if they're yeah. giving you <laughs> the yeah. parameters, and then you can say, "Well, that's the information you gave me." That's what yeah, and of course, it changes over time. I mean, there are a variety of things <laughs> in there, but I guess the analytical approach when dealing with I don't know shopping, washing. <laughs> these kind of things but also actually in dealing with kind of interpersonal relationships and you know these kind of things i mean i guess i'm fully of the view and you have to be of this view that this is a very in terms of my professional work this is a very temporary circumstance and i've been extraordinarily lucky and there are others that have been luckier but yeah. um you know i need to be very mindful that uh well, it's just what's happening right now, right now. Yep. yeah and Absolutely. um and and you can have all your plans about the future, about how it could go and how you'd like to see it go and blah, blah, blah. And those are all worthy of engaging some bit of your brain power on. But what actually is going to happen? Who knows? <laughs> There's a beautiful thing that our UK listeners will understand. My full name is Thomas Samuel Barbelay, or TSB. And in the UK, there's a bank called Lloyd's TSB. So I would joke with folks in the UK that there were a number of buses with my name on it, and one of these days the buses will catch up with me. And I think this is a metaphor that I've kind of continued with even when I'm not in the UK, but it's easier to make that joke when you're in the UK and the buses really do have your name on them. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm very mindful of these things. In fact, I'm one of... I mean, people tell me within my profession that I'm one of the few people that actually documents stuff that I do in that light. Um, and it's something I do periodically with no blame, not quite as diligently as I do professionally, but you've always got to have these things in place because nothing is forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Speaking uh, of which, that's a very different world. Yeah. Everything has changed since when I was your age. Jesus. Well, yeah. The notion of having a job for life, I think is, uh, that's pretty much gone. Yeah. Well, I think that's, well, you know, I guess it depends on where you live and I, I bet you somewhere in, uh, Tennessee, <laughs> there are still people who are, have been working at the paper mill That's for their whole interesting, interesting you raise that. One of the things that YouTube surfaced to me, and YouTube's been surfacing me a wide variety of really interesting stuff recently, and they surfaced me last weekend a short YouTube clip, about five minutes, associated with archery, and associated with how the historical portrayal of archery in films is completely incorrect, but has actually oh, yeah. changed... The, did you have an opportunity to watch that? Oh, yeah, that must be all over the place. That guy from Netherlands or wherever he's yeah, from. Yeah, Norway or something. Hopping yeah. around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Firing arrows. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking some of that's CGI. But I don't think it's CGI. I just think he takes a lot of... I mean, if you did that 
Oh, he takes a lot of times. 150 times. Yeah, yeah, you're bound to hit. You're bound to hit it once. (laughs) Okay, yeah, you're right. That's, yeah. I'd like to see how how much they shot versus how much made it into this. Because he never missed, man. And and he doesn't aim either, you know. As a boy, boy, making bows and arrows (laughs) was a large part of my childhood. Ah. Finding particular woods, doing a variety of techniques to make bows and arrows was a big part of my childhood. Oh, cool. And I thought to myself, I actually have... Ah, that says a lot about you, you know? In what regard? Well, I mean, about your relationship to physical reality. Certainly. You know, I mean, I grew up, too, before television. I mean, but, but I mean, I grew up in this drainage ditch. I mean, they called it a creek, but, you know... In any case, yes. you know, I was really, and I consider myself really fortunate to have had experience with the physical world. Yes, certainly. Yeah. So I've been contemplating, when I say contemplating, spending about two hours every other night on various traditional archery websites. Mm. I, the benefit that I have in my current abode is I actually have a yard that is very long. Ah! <laughs> and I, I would be firing into car bodies as well if it, if it punctured through the, um, back fence, because that's what's behind the back fence. And I've contemplated actually, in fact, yeah. I probably will pull the trigger on buying a, a relatively lightweight bow and some arrows and a target sometime within the next month or so. Ah! To add to the ever Are you gonna become, are you gonna, Follow this guy's. Yeah, pers- I'm going to try pers- it out. Actually, go the, the standard. Uh, I'm going to try it out actually because I think particularly the. So you think it's important? You're going to be doing it for speed and accurate. Well, the accuracy thing has got me by. I don't think he's that accurate. I think he. Let me answer your question. Yeah. My perspective is: I learnt archery associated with moving in the counterintuitive direction, three moves per fire, kind of thing. I'm interested in trying out his technique, okay. not for speed initially. But actually, I'm very interested in this notion of projecting to a target. I've historically had discussions with people that shoot pistols associated with whether it's possible in the dark to fire a pistol with some accuracy at a target. There's been some work done on this. In fact, I have a DVD associated with this. But what interests me is my ability late at night, if I have to get up and go to the restroom or what have you, to find light switches instantly just by reaching out without my eyes open. Yeah, And sure. I think, actually, we have a degree of sensitivity, particularly associated with, you know, and I, I have pretty shit hands. I have hands that uh, I can't paint particularly well. I can't do anything particularly well with my hands because my hands constantly, you know, they're not stationary. I, I find it very difficult to hold my hands stationary. But I can still find things in the dark instantaneously. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. my perspective is, and this goes back to his ability associated with aiming, I actually think I'm less concerned by that. Because I think there's a certain degree of muscle memory where when you can train yourself, you can probably project a That projectile. may be. Yeah. You're, no, you're absolutely right. That may be. But if that's the case, then I'm even more impressed. Because... Yeah. Um, I say I I was I was skeptical of the whole fucking thing from the beginning. Yeah, mm. uh, but but that's just your nature. That's your modus operandi. With well, that's about yeah, right. I you know, but uh, and but then once I realized that you know this is a movie, you know that there were probably some outtakes. Yeah, you know, and then I thought, well, okay, then yeah, nothing he did. He certainly it's, ducks when the arrows fired towards him, which I think at least that was something that I was looking for when I watched it again, was how did he actually behave when the arrow was being fired at him? 
Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's another one too. You know. Yeah. yeah. For for the Stone Age listeners, I'm not going to have people firing arrows at me. I'm just interested in a hobby <laughs> that gets me out in the garden. Aside from gardening, which I do a lot of, but a hobby that gets me out in the garden, in the fresh air, yeah. moving my yeah. body. No, no, I in, think it's a yeah. great idea. Yeah. yeah. But I, like I say, that that thing, I, I'd like to see someone do a documentary on the making of that film, yeah. <laughs> and then we'll then I'll ha- then I'll have a real opinion about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that really, now, in fact, you know, this is one of those things I knew, but I didn't know I knew until just now, <laughs> you know, about how skeptical I really was. I was blown away by a lot of it, and and the idea of holding the the arrow on the other side, well, mm. that's just obvious, mm. you know, and, and a lot of the stuff is just, I thought, brilliant, but pretty fucking obvious, yes. but when it came to his shooting, I just thought, I don't, you know... So there was a program that was on cable when I first moved to this country, which I can't think of its name now, but it was a series of trick shooters, both with typically revolvers, but also with bows and arrows. Yeah. And there are half a dozen of these people that have done it for 20 plus years. Yeah. The arrow guys could use, like, they'd bounce the arrows off bricks where they would hit one brick and bounce it off another brick and then hit a target based on that. I mean, there were a series ah, of things yeah. that they did that were truly amazing. Yeah. yeah. Potentially over multiple takes. No, but that's that physics, though. I mean, yeah. that, you know, that's worked out. Well, you it's know, like billiards yeah. or snooker or any yeah, of those right, Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. but that's all worked out, and of course it's going to work. If, if you can shoot accurately at that one place. Certainly. But it's still pretty impressive to watch. Oh yeah, well it it it's, it says something about their accuracy. But it, you, you watch how they set up those shots. Mm. This guy's doing it while he's running, mm-hmm. and his eyes are nowhere near. He's shooting from the hip. I mean, maybe he can do that. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's if he if he really is that accurate from like the way they showed it, then I'm fuck. I'm really blown away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny, it's one of these things, and I'm, truth be told, for a lot of these kind of things, I am actually sympathetic to the notion of lost art. Yeah. And certainly that component joined oh, yeah. with me with a lot of other things that I look at. Yeah. The notion I, that information yeah. is lost. Yeah. There's a common, you know. Yeah, archery is a real, is a yeah. real warrior's skill. Certainly. You know, yeah. uh, is something that is, Gone. It defined cultures. Well, it defined the archery cultures. Well, no, no, but I mean, if you look at the longbow in the UK and the religion yeah. of the longbow in the UK, it defined cultures. Well, it was, yeah. You again, know, well, that was a whole different, again, that's and, the whole thing. That was a, just such a different world, of course. Yeah. It, it was, a, it was a different world then. Yeah. Yeah. The, the boy fucking guns sure changed all that shit, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That scene in Indiana Jones yes. where, where the guy has the sword. Yeah. <laughs> he just, that was great. <laughs> Aaron, I'm out of topics and out of voice. How, how, do you have anything you want to conclude with? Or are you done? No, I'm it? still looking at the guy in the VR glasses. You know, like <laughs> that image. You're reflecting. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I don't know why I didn't shut that window. Damn. <laughs> That's much better now. <laughs> I've been looking at that for the last 30 minutes. Damn. Yeah, I think it's probably time I retire now. Very good. One final thing. I'm giving a public talk on Monday, which will go up in the Stone Ape audio. 
Um, I'm kind of halfway through doing the slides currently. I'll finish off the slides over the weekend. Not sure how well it will go, but it will conclude with some discussive audio associated with why I'm stopping the Conscious in the Cloud series, amongst other things. But it may be of interest to start out, listeners. It will go in the feed. That's all I have to say, Heron. Good night. (laughs) Good night.